0: This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Today's podcast is a reading of James P. Crow by Philip K. Dick. It's read by Mike Vendetti. It runs 43 minutes, and we will be discussing it afterward.
1: James P. Crow by Philip K. Dick. I'm Mike Vendetti. It was a robot's world run by soulless heaps of haughty metal. But among the miserable band of humans, there was one who aspired to greatness, one who aimed to bust out of his subservient shell. This was the time window kid. He was James P. Crow. You're a nasty little human being. The newly formed Z-type robot shrilled peevishly. Donnie flushed and slunk away. It was true. He was a human being, a human child. And there was nothing science could do. He was stuck with it. A human being in a robot's world. He wished he were dead. He wished he lay under the grass and the worms were eating him up and crawling through him and devouring his brain. His poor, miserable human's brain. The Z-236R, his robot companion, wouldn't have anybody to play with, and it would be sorry. Where are you going? Z-236R demanded. Home. Sissy. Donnie didn't reply. He gathered up his set of fourth-dimensional chests, stuffed it in his pocket, and walked off between the rows of Icarta trees, toward the human quarter. Behind him, Z-236-R stood gleaming in the late afternoon sun. A pale tower of metal and plastic. "'See if I care,' Z-236-R shouted sullenly. "'I want us to play with a human being, anyhow. You go home. You smell.' Donnie said nothing. But he hunched over a little more, and his chin sank lower against his chest. "'Well, it happened,' Edgar Parks said gloomily to his wife across the kitchen table. Grace looked quickly up. It? Donnie learned his place today. He told me while I was changing my clothes. One of the new robots he was playing with. Call him a human being. Poor kid. Why the hell do they have to rub it in? Why can't they let us alone? So that's why he didn't want any dinner. He's in his room. I knew something had happened. Grace touched her husband's hand. He'll get over it. We all have to learn the hard way. He's strong. He'll snap back. Ed Parks got up from the table and moved into the living room of his modest five-room dwelling unit, located in a section of the city set aside for humans. He didn't feel like eating. Robots. He clenched his fist futilely. I'd like to get hold of one of them just once. Get my hands into their guts. Rip out handfuls of wire and parts, just once before I die. Maybe you'll get your chance. No, no, it'll never come to that. Anyhow, humans won't be able to run things without robots. It's true, honey. Humans haven't got the integration to maintain a society. The list proved that twice a year, let's face it. Humans are inferior to robots. But it's our damn holding it up to us, like today with Donnie, holding it up to our faces. I don't mind being a robot's body servant. It's a good job, pays well, and the work is light. But when my kid gets told he's... Ed broke off. Donnie came out of his room slowly into the living room. Hi, Dad. Hi, son. Ed thumped the boy gently on the back. How you doing? Want to take in a show tonight? Humans entertained nightly in the vid-screens. Humans made good entertainers. That was one area the robots couldn't compete in. Human beings painted and wrote and danced and sang and acted for the amusement of robots. They cooked better, too, but robots didn't eat. Human beings had their place. They were understood and wanted. As body servants, entertainers, clerks, gardeners, construction workers, repairmen, odd jobbers, and factory workers. But when it came to something like civic control coordinator or traffic supervisor for the Uson tapes that fed energy into the planet's twelve hydro systems. Dad, Donnie said, can I ask you something? Sure. Ed sat down on the couch with a sigh. He leaned back and crossed his legs. What is it? Donnie sat quietly beside him, his little round face serious. Dad, I want to ask you about the lists. Oh, yeah, Ed rubbed his jaw. That's right, lists in a few weeks. Time to start boning up for your entry. We'll get out some of these sample tests and go over them. Maybe the two of us can get you ready for class 20. Listen, Donnie leaned close to his father, his voice low and intense. Dad, how many humans have ever passed their lists? Ed got up abruptly and paced around the room, filling his pipe and frowning. Well, son, that's hard to say. I mean, humans don't have access to the seabank bank records, so I can't check and see. The law says any human who gets a score in the top 40% is eligible for classification with a gradual upward gradation, according to subsequent showing. I don't know how many humans have been able to... Has any human ever passed his list? Ed swallowed nervously. Gosh, kid, I don't know. I mean... I don't honestly know of any when you put it like that. Maybe not. The lists have been conducted only 300 years. Before that, the government was reactionary and forbade humans to compete with robots. Nowadays, we have a liberal government and can compete on the lists, And if we get high enough scores, his voice wavered and faded. No, kid, he said miserably. No human ever passed a list. We're just not smart enough. The room was silent. Donnie nodded faintly, expressionless. Ed didn't look at him. He concentrated on his pipe, hands shaking. It's not so bad, Ed said huskily. I have a good job. I'm body servant to a hell of a fine N-type robot. I get big tips at Christmas and Easter. Gives me time off when I'm sick. He cleared his throat noisily. Not so bad. Grace was standing at the door, and now she came into the room, eyes bright. No, not bad. Not at all. You open doors for it, bring its instruments to it, make calls for it, run errands for it, oil it, repair it, sing to it, talk to it, scan tape for it. Shut up, Ed muttered miserably. What the hell should I do? Quit? Maybe I should mow lawns like John Hollister and Pete Klein. At least my robot calls me by name like a living thing, calls me Ed. Will a human ever pass a list? Donnie asked. Yes, Grace said sharply. Ed nodded. Sure, kid, of course. Someday, maybe humans and robots will live together in equality. There's an equality party among the robots, holds ten seats in Congress. They think humans should be admitted without lists, since it's obvious, he broke off. I mean, since no humans have ever been able to pass their lists so far. Donnie, Grace said fiercely, bending down over her son. Listen to me. I want you to pay attention. Nobody knows this. The robots can't talk about it. Humans don't know. But it's true. What is it? I know of a human being who's classified. He's passed these lists ten years ago, and he's gone up. He's up to class two. Someday he'll be class one. Do you hear? A human being. And he's going up. Donnie's face showed doubt. Really? The doubt turned to wistful hope. Class two? No kidding? No kidding, Grace said. It's just a story, Ed grunted. I've heard that all my life. It's true. I heard two robots talking about it when I was cleaning up one of the engineering units. They stopped when they noticed me. What's his name? Donnie asked, wide-eyed. James P. Crow, Grace said proudly. Strange name, Ed murmured. That's his name. I know it's not a story. It's true, and sometime, someday, he'll be on the top level on the Supreme Council. Bob McIntyre lowered his voice. Yeah, it's true, all right. James P. Crow is his name. It's not a legend, Ed demanded eagerly. There really is such a human, and he's class two, gone all the way up, past his list like that. McIntyre snapped his fingers. The robes hush it up, but it's a fact. And the news is spreading. More and more humans know. The two men had stopped by the service entrance of the enormous structural research building. Robot officials moved busily in and out through the main doors at the front of the building. Robot planners who guided Terran society with skill and efficiency. Robots ran Earth. It had always been that way. The history tape said so. Humans had been invented during the total war of the 11th millibar. All types of weapons had been tested and used. Humans, one of the many. The war had utterly wrecked society for decades after anarchy and ruin lay everywhere. Only gradually had society reformed under the patient guidance of robots. Humans had been useful in the reconstruction, but why they had originally been made, what they had been used for, how they had served in the war, all knowledge had perished in the hydrogen bomb blasts. The historians had to fill in with conjecture. They did so. Why such a strange name? Ed asked, McIntyre shrugged. All I know is he's sub-advisor to the Northern Security Conference and in line for the council when he makes class one. What do the ropes think? They don't like it, but there's nothing they can do. The law says they have to let a human hold a job if he's qualified. They never thought a human would be qualified, of course, but just crow passed his lists. It certainly is strange, a human smarter than the robes. Wonder why. He was an ordinary repairman, a mechanic, fixing machinery and designing circuits, unclassified, of course. Then suddenly he passed his first list, entered class 20. He rose the next biannual to class 19. They had to put him to work. McIntyre chuckled. Too damn bad, isn't it? They have to sit with a human being. How do they react? Some quit, walk out, rather than sit with a human. But most stay. A lot of robes are decent. They try hard. I'd sure like to meet this fellow Crow, McIntyre frowned. Well, what is it? I understand he doesn't like to be seen with humans too much. Why not? He bristled. What's wrong with humans? Is he too high and mighty, sitting up there with robots? It's not that. There was a strange look in McIntyre's eyes. A yearning, distant look. It's not just that, Ed. He's up to something. Something important. I shouldn't be saying, but it's big. Big as hell. What is it? I can't say. But wait until he gets on the council. Wait. McIntyre's eyes were feverish. It's so big it'll shake the world. The stars and the sun'll shake. What is it? I don't know, but Crow's got something up his sleeve. Something incredibly big. We're all waiting for it. Waiting for the day. James P. Crow sat at his polished mahogany desk, thinking. That wasn't his real name, of course. He had taken it after the first experiments, grinning to himself as he did so. Nobody would ever know what it meant. It would remain a private joke, personal and unannounced. But it was a good joke, nonetheless fighting, and appropriate. He was a small man, Irish-German, a little, lean, light-skinned man with blue eyes and sandy hair that fell down in his face and had to be brushed back. He wore unpressed baggy pants and rolled up sleeves. He was nervous, high-strung, he smoked all day and drank black coffee and usually couldn't sleep at night. But there was a lot on his mind. A hell of a lot. Crow got abruptly to his feet and paced over to the bid sender "'Send in the Commissioner of Colonies,' he ordered. "'The Commissioner's metal and plastic body "'pushed through the door into the office. "'An R-type robot, patient and efficient. "'You wish to?' "'It broke off, seeing a human. "'For a second its pale eye lens flickered doubtfully, "'a faint sheen of distaste spread across its features. "'You wish to see me?' "'Crow had seen the expression before, endless times. "'He was used to it, almost.' The surprise, and then the lofty withdrawal, the cold-clip formality. He was Mr. Crow, not Jim. The law made him address him as an equal. It hurt some of them more than others. Some showed it without restraint. This one held his feelings back a trifle. Crow was its official superior. Yes, I wish to see you, Crow said calmly. I want your report. Why hasn't it come in? The robot stalled, still lofty and withdrawn. Such a report takes time. We're doing the best we can. I want it within two weeks, no later. The robot struggled with itself, lifelong prejudices versus the requirements of governmental codes. All right, sir. The report will be ready in two weeks. Moved out of the office. The door formed behind it. Crow let his breath out with a rush. Doing the best they could, hardly, not to please a human being. Even if he was at advisory level, class two, they all dragged their feet all the way down the line, little things here and there. His door melted and a robot wheeled quickly into the office. I say there, Crow, got a minute? Of course, Crow grinned. Come in and sit down, I'm always glad to talk to you. The robot dumped some papers on Crow's desk, tapes and such, business trifles. He eyed crow intently. "'You look upset. "'Anything happen?' "'I report I want to "'somebody taking his time.' "'L87T grunted. Them old stuff, by the way. "'We're having a meeting tonight. "'Want to come over and make a speech? "'Should have a good turnout.' "'Meeting?' "'Party meeting. Equality.' "'L87T made a quick sign "'with its right gripper. "'A sort of half arc in the air.' the equality sign. We're glad to have you, Jim. Want to come? No, I'd like to, but I have things to do. Oh. The robot moved towards the door. All right. Thanks, anyhow. It lingered at the door. You'd give us a shot in the arm, you know, living proof of our contention that a human being is the equal to a robot and should be afforded such recognition. Crow smiled faintly. But a human isn't the equal of a robot. L87T sputtered indignantly. What are you saying? Aren't you the living proof? Look at your list scores. Perfect. Not a mistake. And in a couple of weeks, you'll be class one highest there is. Groh shook his head. Sorry, a human isn't the equal of a robot any more than he's the equal of a stove or a diesel motor or a snowplow. There are a lot of things a human can't do, let's face facts. L87T was baffled, but I mean it, you're ignoring reality. Humans and robots are completely different. We humans can sing, act, write plays, stories, operas, paint, design sets, flower gardens, buildings, cook delicious meals, make love, scratch sonnets on menus, and robots can't. But robots can build elaborate cities and machines that function perfectly, work for days without rest, Think without emotional interruption. Gestalt complex data without a time lag. Humans excel in some fields, robots in others. Humans have highly developed emotions and feelings, aesthetic awareness. We're sensitive to colors and sounds and textures and soft music mixed with wine. All very fine things, worthwhile. But realms totally beyond robots. Robots are purely intellectual, which is fine too. Both realms are fine, emotional humans, sensitive to art and music and drama. Robots who think and plan and design machinery. But that doesn't mean we're both the same. L87T shook its head sadly. I don't understand you, Jim. Don't you want to help your race? Of course, but realistically, not by ignoring facts and making an illusionary assertion that men and robots are interchangeable, identical elements. A curious look slid across L-87-T's eye lens. What's your solution, then? Crow clamped his jaw tight. Stick around another few weeks and maybe you'll see. Crow headed out of the Terran security building and along the street. Around him, robots streamed. Bright hulls of metal and plastic and fluid. Except for body servants, humans never came to this area. This was the managerial section of the city, the core the nucleus where the planning and organization went on. From this area, the life of the city was controlled. Robots were everywhere. In the surface cars, on the moving ramps, the balconies, entering buildings, streaming out, standing in pale, glowing knots here and there like Roman senators, talking and discussing business. A few greeted him, faintly, formally, with a nod of their metal heads, and then turned their backs. Most robots ignored him or pulled aside to avoid contact. Sometimes a clump of talking robots would become abruptly silent as Crow pushed past. Robot eye lenses fixed on him, solemn and half-astonished. They noticed his arm color, class two, surprised and indignation and after he had passed, a quick, angry buzz of resentment. Backward glances at him as he threaded his way toward the human quarter. A pair of humans stood in front of the domestic control offices, armed with pruning shears and rakes, gardeners weeding and watering the lawns of the big public building. They watched Crow pass with excited stares. One waved nervously at him, feverishly and hopeful. A menial human waving at the only human ever to reach classification. Crow waved back briefly. The two humans' eyes grew wide with awe and reverence. They were still looking after him when he turned the corner at the main intersection and mixed with the business crowds shopping at the transplanted marts. Goods from the wealthy colonies of Venus and Mars and Ganymede filled the open-air marts. Robots drifted in swarms, sampling and pricing and discussing and gossiping. A few humans were visible, mostly household servants, in charge of maintenance, stocking up on supplies. Crow edged his way through and beyond the marts. He was approaching the human quarter of the city. He could smell it already. The faint, pungent scent of humans. The robots, of course, were odorless. In a world of odorless machines, the human scent stood out in bold relief. The human quarter was a section of the city once prosperous. Humans had moved in and property values had dropped. Gradually the houses had been abandoned by robots and now humans exclusively lived there. Crow, in spite of his position, was obliged to live in the human quarter. His house, a uniform five-room dwelling identical with all the others, was located to the rear of the quarter. One house of many. He held up his hand to the front door and the door melted. Crow entered quickly, and the door reformed. He glanced at his watch, plenty of time, an hour before he was due back at his desk. He rubbed his hands. It was always a thrilling moment to come here, to his personal quarters, where he had grown up, lived as an ordinary unclassified human being, before he had come across it, and begun his meteoric ascent into the upper-class regions. Crow passed through the small, silent house to the workshed and back. He unlocked the bolted doors and slid them aside. The shed was hot and dry. He clicked off the alarm system, complex tangles of bells and wires that were really unnecessary. Robots never entered the human section, and humans seldom stole from each other. Locking the doors behind him, Crow seated himself before a bank of machinery assembled in the center of the shed. He snapped on the power, and the machinery hummed into life. Dials and meters swung into activity. Lights glowed. Before him, a square window of gray faded to light pink and shimmered slightly. The window. Crow's pulse throbbed painfully. He clicked a key. The window clouded and showed a scene. He slid a tape scanner before the window and activated it. The scanner clicked as the window gained shape. Forms moved. Dim forms. That waved and hesitated. He steadied the picture. Two robots were standing behind a table. They moved quickly, jerkily. He slowed them down. The two robots were handling something. Crow increased the power of the image and the objects bloated up to be caught by the scanning lens and preserved on tape. The robots were sorting lists, class one lists, grading and dividing them into groups, several hundred packets of questions and answers. Before the table, a restless crowd waited, eager robots waiting to hear their scores. Crow speeded the image up. The two robots leaped into activity, tossing and arranging lists in a blur of energy. Then the master class one list was held up. The list. Crow caught it in the window, dropping the velocity to zero. The list was held, fixed tight, like a specimen on a slide. The tape scanner hummed away, recording the questions and answers. He felt no guilt. No sting of conscience at using a time window to see the results of future lists. He'd been doing it for ten years, all the way up from the bottom from unclassified up to the top list, to class one. He had never kidded himself. Without advanced sight of the answers, he could never have passed. He would still be unclassified at the bottom of the pile along with the great undifferentiated mass of humans. The lists were geared to robot minds, made up by robots, based to a robot culture, a culture which was alien to humans, to which humans had to make difficult adjustment. No wonder only robots passed their lists. Crow wiped the scene from the window and threw the scanner aside. He set the window back into time, spinning back through the centuries into the past. He never tired of seeing the early days, the days before the total war wrecked human society and destroyed all human tradition. The days when man lived without robots. He fiddled with the dials, capturing a moment. The windows showed robots building up their post-war society, swarming over the ruined planet, erecting vast cities and buildings, clearing away the debris. With humans as slaves, second-class servant citizens. He saw the total war, the rain of death from the sky, the blossoming pale funnels of destruction. He saw man's society dissolve into radioactive particles, all human knowledge and culture lost in the chaos. And once again he caught his favorite of all scenes, a scene he had examined repeatedly, enjoying with acute satisfaction this unique sight a scene of human beings in an undersurface lab in the early days of the war. Designing and building the first robots, the original A-type robots, four centuries before. Ed Parks walked home slowly, holding his son's hand. Donnie gazed down at the ground. He said nothing. His eyes were red and puffy. He was pale with misery. I'm sorry, Dad, he muttered. Ed's grip tightened. It's okay, kid. You did your best. Don't worry about it. Maybe next time. We'll get started practicing sooner, cursed under his breath. The lousy metal tubs, damn soulless heaps of tin. It was the evening. The sun was setting. The two of them climbed the porch steps slowly and entered the house. Grace met them at the door. No luck? She studied their faces. I can see same old story. Same old story, Ed said bitterly. "You didn't have a chance. Hopeless. From the dining room came a murmurous sound, voices, men and women. Who's in there? Ed demanded irritably. Do we have to have company? For God's sake, today of all days. Come on, Grace pulled him toward the kitchen. Some news, maybe it'll make you feel better. Come along, Donnie. This will interest you too. Ed and Donnie entered the kitchen. It was full of people, Bob McIntyre and his wife, Pat, John Hollister and his wife, Joan, and their two daughters, Pete Klein and Rose Klein, neighbors. Nat Johnson and Tim Davis and Barbara Stanley. An eager murmur buzzed through the room. Everybody was grouped around the table, excited and nervous. Sandwiches and beer bottles were piled up in heaps. The men and women were laughing and grinning happily, eyes bright with agitation. What's up? Ed grumbled. What a party. Bob McIntyre clapped him on the shoulder. How you doing, Ed? We've got news. He rattled a public news tape. Get ready. Brace yourself. Read it to him, Pete Klein said excitedly. Go on, read it. They all grouped around McIntyre. Let's hear it again. McIntyre's face was alive with emotion. Well, Ed, this is it. He made it. He's there. Who Who made what? Crow, Jim Crow. He made class one. The tape spool trembled in McIntyre's hand. He's been named to the Supreme Council. Understand he's in. A human being, a member of the supreme governing body of the planet. Gosh, Donnie said odd. Now what? Ed asked. What's he going to do? McIntyre grinned shakily. We'll know soon. He's got something. We know. We can feel it. And we should start seeing it in action, any time now. Groh strode briskly into the council chamber, his portfolio under his arm. He wore a slick new suit. His hair was combed, his shoes were shined. Good day, he said politely. The five robots regarded him with mixed feelings. They were old, over a century old, the powerful N-type that had dominated the social scene since its construction, and an incredibly ancient D-type, almost three centuries old. As Crow advanced toward his seat, the five robots stepped away, leaving a wide path for him. You, one of the N-types said, You are the new council member? That's right. Crow took his seat. Care to examine my credentials? Please. Crow passed over the card plate given him by the list committee. The five robots studied it intently. Finally, they passed it back. It appears to be an order, the D admitted reluctantly. Of course. Crow unzipped his portfolio. I wish to begin work at once. There is quite a lot of material to cover. I have some reports and tapes you'll find worth your while. The robots took their places slowly, eyes still on Jim Crow. This is incredible, the D said. Are you serious? Can you really expect to sit with us? Of course, Crow snapped. Let's forgo this and get down to business. One of the N-types leaned toward him, massive and contemptuous. Its patina-encrusted hull gleaming dully. ''Mr. Crow,'' it said icily, ''you must understand this is utterly impossible. In spite of the legal ruling and your technical right to sit on this...'' Crow smiled calmly back. ''I suggest you check my list scoring. You'll discover I've made no errors in all twenty lists. A perfect score. To my knowledge, none of you has achieved a perfect score.'' Therefore, according to the governmental ruling contained in the official list committee decree, I'm your superior. The word fell like a bombshell. The five robots slumped down in their seats, stricken. Their eye lenses flickered uneasily. A worried hum rose in pitch, filling the chamber. Let's see, NN murmured, extending its gripper. Crow tossed his list sheets over to the five robots. Each scanned them rapidly. It's true, the D stated. Incredible, no robot has ever achieved a perfect score. This human outranks us according to our own laws. Now, Crow said, let's get down to business. He spread out his tapes and reports. I won't waste any time. I have a proposal to make, an important proposal bearing on the most critical problem of this society. What problem is that? NX asked apprehensively. Crow was tense. The problem of humans. Humans occupying an inferior position in a robot world. Menials in an alien culture. Servants of robots. Silence. The five robots sat frozen. It had happened. The thing they had feared. Crow sat back in his chair lighting a cigarette. The robots watched each motion, his hands, the cigarette, the smoke, the match as he grounded out underfoot. The moment had come. What do you propose? The D asked at last with metallic dignity. What is this proposal of yours? I propose you robots evacuate Earth at once, pack up and leave, emigrate to the colonies. Ganymede, Mars, Venus, leave Earth to us humans. The robots got instantly up. Incredible. We built this world. This this is our world. Earth belongs to us. It has always belonged to us. Has it? Crow said grimly. An uneasy chill moved through the robots. They hesitated, strangely alarmed. Of course, the D murmured. Crow reached toward his heap of tapes and reports. The robots watched his movement with fear. What is that? And then demanded nervously. What do you have there? Tapes, Crow said. What kind of tapes? History tapes. Crow signaled and a gray-clad human servant hurried into the chamber with a tape scanner. Thanks, Crow said. The human started out. Wait, you might like to stay and watch this, my friend. The servant's eyes bulged. He found a place in the back and stood trembling and watching. i regular. irregular. The D. protested. What are you doing? What is this? Watch. Crow snapped on the scanner, feeding the first tape into it. In the air, in the center of the council table, a three-dimensional image formed. Keep your eyes on this. You'll remember this moment for a long time. The image hardened. They were looking into the time window. A scene from the Total War was in motion. Men, human technicians, working frantically in an undersurface lab, assembling something, assembling... The human servant squawked wildly. And it's a Type A robot. They're making it. The five council robots buzzed in consternation. Get that servant out of here, the D ordered. The scene changed. It showed the first robots, the original Type A, rising to the surface to fight the war. Other early robots appeared, snaking through the ruins and ash, approaching warily. The robots clashed, bursts of white light, gleaming clouds of particles. Robots were originally designed as soldiers, Crow explained. Then more advanced type were produced to act as technicians and lab workers and machinists. The scene showed an undersurface factory, rows of robots worked presses and stampers. The robots worked rapidly, efficiently, supervised by a human foreman. These tapes are fake, Anand cried angrily. Do you expect us to believe this? A new scene formed. Robots, more advanced, types more complex and elaborate, taking over more and more economic and industrial functions as humans were destroyed by the war. At first, robots were simple, Crow explained. They served simple needs. Then, as the war progressed, more advanced types were created. Finally, humans making type D and E equal to humans, and in conceptual faculties, superior to humans. This is insane, N.N. stated. Robots evolved. The early types were as simple because they were original stages, primitive forms that gave rise to more complex forms. The laws of evolution fully explain this process. A new scene formed, the last stages of the war. Robots fighting men, robots eventually winning. The complete chaos of the later years. Endless wastes of rolling ash and radioactive particles, miles of ruin. All cultural records were destroyed, Crow said. Robots emerged masters without knowing how or why, or in what manner they came into being. But now you see the fact. Robots were created as human tools. During the war, they got out of hand. He snapped off the tape scanner. The image faded. The five robots sat in stunned silence. Crow folded his arms. Well, what do you say? He jerked his thumb at the human servant crouching in the rear of the chamber, dazed and astonished. Now you know, and now he knows. What do you imagine he's thinking? I can tell you. He's thinking. "'How did you get these tapes?' the D demanded. "'They can't be genuine. They must be fakes.' "'Why weren't they found by our archaeologists? N.N. shouted shrilly. "'I took them personally,' Crow said. "'You took them? What do you mean?' "'Through a time window.' Crow tossed a thick package onto the table. "'Here are the schematics. You can build a time window yourself if you want.' "'Time machine?' The D snatched up the package and leafed through the contents. You saw into the past? Dawning realization showed on its ancient face. Then... He saw ahead, and then screeched wildly. Into the future! That explains his perfect list. He scanned them in advance. Crow rattled his papers impatiently. You've heard my proposal. You've seen the tapes. If you vote down the proposal, I'll release the tapes publicly, in the schematics. Every human in the world will know the true story of his origin and of yours. So? Anin said nervously. We can handle humans. If there's an uprising, we'll put it down. Will you? Crow got suddenly to his feet, his face hard. Consider. Civil war raging over the whole planet. Men on one side, centuries of pent-up hatred. On the other side, robots, suddenly deprived of their myth, knowing they were originally mechanical tools. Are you sure you'll come out on top this time? Are you positive? The robots were silent. If you'll evacuate Earth, I'll suppress the tapes. The two races can go on each with its own culture and society. Humans here on Earth, robots in the colonies. Neither one master, neither one slave. The five robots hesitated, angry and resentful. But we worked centuries to build up this planet. It won't make sense. Our leaving? What do we say? What do we give as our reason? Crow smiled harshly. You can say Earth isn't adequate for the great original master race. There was silence. The four Type-N robots looked at each other nervously, drawing together in a whispered huddle. The massive D sat silent, its archaic brass eye lens fixed intently on Crow, a baffled, defeated expression on its face. Calmly, Jim Crow waited. Can I shake your hand? L-87T asked timidly. I'll be going soon. I'm in one of the first loads. Crow stuck out his hand briefly, and L-87T shook, a little embarrassed. I hope it works out, L-87T ventured. Hit us from time to time, keep us posted. Outside the council buildings, the blurring voices of the street speakers were beginning to disturb the late afternoon gloom. All up and down the city, the speakers roared out their message, the council directive. Men scurrying home from work paused to listen. In the uniform houses of the human quarter, men and women glanced up, pausing in the routine of living, curious and attentive. Everywhere in all the cities of Earth, robots and human beings ceased their activities and looked up as the government speakers roared into life. This is to announce that the Supreme Council has decreed the rich colony planets, Venus, Mars, and Ganymede, are to be set aside exclusively for the use of robots. No humans will be permitted outside of Earth. In order to take advantage of the superior resources and living conditions of these colonies, all robots now on Earth are to be transferred to the colony of their choice. The Supreme Council has determined that Earth is no fit place for robots. Its wasted and still partly devastated condition tenders it unworthy of the robot race. All robots are to be conveyed to their new homes in the colonies as quickly as adequate transportation can be arranged. In no case can humans enter the colony areas. The colonies are exclusively for the use of robots. The human population will be permitted to remain on Earth. This is to announce that the Supreme Council has decreed that the rich colony planets of Venus Crow moved away from the window, satisfied. He returned to his desk and continued assembling papers and reports in neat piles, glancing at them briefly as he classified them and laid them aside. I hope you humans will get along all right, L-87-T repeated. Crow continued checking the heaps of top-level reports, marking them with his writing stick, working rapidly with absorbed attention deep in his work. He scarcely noticed the robot lingering at the door. Can you give me some idea of the government you'll set up? Crow glanced up impatiently. What? Your form of government. How will your society be ruled? Now that you've maneuvered us off Earth, what sort of government will take place of our Supreme Council and Congress? Crow didn't answer. He had already returned to his work. There was a strange granite cast to his face, a peculiar hardness L-87-T had never seen. "'Who'll run things?' L-87-T asked. "'Who'll be the government now that we're gone?' "'You said yourself, humans show no ability to manage a complex modern society. "'Can you find a human capable of keeping the wheels turning? "'Is there a human being capable of leading mankind?' Crow smiled thinly as he continued working. This has been James P. Crow by Philip K. Dick. I'm Mike Vendetti. Production copyright 2015 by Audiobooks by Mike Vendetti.
0: Hi, I'm Jesse. Hello, I'm
2: Paul. Hello, I'm Marissa.
0: Hello, I'm Evan. We're going to talk about James P. Crow, by Philip K. Dick, first published in *Planet Stories*, May 1954. Um, y'all notice the uh, little Donnie's last name? <laughs> little Donnie starts. What is the, it? It's it's Parks.
3: Parks. Oh yeah.
4: Yep. Parks. Yeah. Dick wasn't dick wasn't being uh, subtle with the story uh,
0: I, don't at- I don't know <laughs> I don't I mean, know what do you mean by that head sort of what level do something. you mean by that Paul
4: um the last name Donny Parks the the main character is James P crow which is a reference to Jim Crow mm-hmm. there's a the, the whole th- theme of the story is um civil rights for an oppressed Minority in this case, humans, versus instead of robots.
3: Mm
4: -hmm. The the, um, institutional racism, or in this case, would be speciesism. (laughs) So So you're you're making an explicit connection. What's that?
0: You're making some sort of explicit connection.
4: Uh, Connection to to America in the 1950s, absolutely. I mean, the whole. I want to
0: poke some. I I got problems with this.
5: Yes. Okay. They're taking this allegory to. Directly in a way, because, um, well, first of all, Jim Crow's not maintained this way. It's not maintained no. through like it wasn't maintained or it wasn't maintained through examinations. I mean, I guess he had literacy um, tests. It's more examiner, like China. <laughs> but there's no, that. No, no,
4: there's, no. Let me, let me finish here. Okay, there's okay. the
5: the the selfish motivations of our protagonist is something we need to consider before we start present i mean if it is an allegory for for the civil rights movement it's
0: say her name you you haven't done it paul parks rosa parks yeah yeah except here's the problem
5: i thought we already established that no
0: we we didn't actually say her name and the reason it's important is because rosa parks didn't become a public figure until 1955 this is a 1954 story yeah. So if you don't follow the chronology really well, he's it, it looks like he's predicting the future, right? <laughs> All right, so no, Here's
5: what I wanted to say about this: yeah. that if if this is a, I mean, he's definitely playing with the the name Jim Crow and and, and segregation mm-hmm. and, and inequalities, structural inequalities in America, especially in the South at the time, but in this world. There are true intellectual divergences between the robots and the humans. Mm-hmm. James Piccolo only is successful by cheating. Yep. Right? I mean, and well, it
0: depends on how we define success. Not, but yes. that's,
5: that's just not the way, I mean, you have W.B. Du Bois, you have a whole host of intellectuals who are, you know, could sit but, at the table, any white intellectual at the time.
2: But cheating on a rigged test it's yeah, not it's like, it's, it's not, not rigged
5: i don't think phil dick is saying like you're going get ahead if they cheat on a it's not a rigged test though
0: it's it's rigged in it in the sense that it's, it's an sat right <laughs> if you make the yeah, test yeah. if you make the test then the test is for you right it's a test that you can pass and and that point is explicitly made in here but it is it's more like a it's supposed to be a meritocracy test, right? But what it actually is, is some sort of ro- test for... A
2: robot test.
0: A robot test. What's funny is, all the robots don't get perfect answers, which is hilarious. And, I mean, the the kid robot at the beginning of the story, the Zed, by the way, and they go from A to Z, right? Robots. The f- uh, first three, A, B, C, don't have human capabilities or consciousness or something. And then D and beyond are all you know human human like
3: yeah.
0: right so what what's the first part of the story is a robot being mean to a human you're a nasty little human being the new form newly formed z type robot shrilled peevishly donny flushed and slunk away it was true he was a human being a human child and there was nothing science could do He was stuck with it. A human being in a robot's world. So the very first thing that we see about this robot is it's mean. (laughs) So it's like a human. It's like a human kid being mean to another kid. You have black curly hair. That's terrible. Oh, and then the best part, as he's walking away, he says, you smell. (laughs) And that actually comes up later in the story as well. Um the humans the, the humans have smell and the robots don't have any scent. Mm. Um, which
4: reminds me of the Matrix. Uh when when uh when uh when uh, when the uh antagonist says that humans smell. It's he, yeah. like he's a computer program but he says humans smell. It's it, it felt a lot like that. Mm-hmm. It
5: reminded me also of Enterprise. If you guys saw Star Trek Enterprise, the mm-hmm. first actually it's a running gag for the whole series but it's it's kind of added in enterprise. It's not something established earlier it's that the Vulcans can't handle human smells, <laughs> like human stink. So, so I don't know, like being more intellectually advanced or perceived to be more intellectually advanced to be more uh, logical. Like these robots aren't really logical, but they're very emotional, but you know, that they can't handle the smell. I wonder what the origin of that trope is. It's it I guess well, it's scent the is associated with. I guess it's a scent is associated with like barbarians, right? Yeah,
4: Re- yeah. I, I, I mean, yeah, I mean that's a that's a that's a co- that's a common racist trope. Oh, yeah. they stink. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that's that's where that's coming from.
0: What were you going to say, Marissa?
2: Uh, I was going to say the test. It was making me think of like the opposite test. If it was the other way around, of the humans, uh, you know, we're running the tests. It would be. Blade Runner, with the
0: Boytown test. Mm. Yeah. In fact, it is, well, that- it's a, it's the same author, right? <laughs> he's, he's, mm. what's so interesting is the first way you read this story, at least for me, and I think it sounds like for Paul, um, mm. is that it is, it's anti-racist. But the more I look at it, the more I think that that's, <laughs> that's not a, yeah. actually what is going on. And well, what's more interesting is that he's trying to, do a story about racism. He's trying to do a story about racism, um, but class is also tied up so strongly with it. It's so, such an American story. I mean, maybe Indian science fiction is like you know from India uh, is is uh, has similar things, but the class and 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 um, race go together so much, like caste and and class. Go together; that it's very difficult to disentangle uh, them in this world, and so that ending makes you think, uh, "Okay, what's he going to do?" Um, there's so many preposterous things going on here, but I think it works really well. Oh, and the smell! One, uh, one big problem. One thing I couldn't stop thinking about. Uh-huh. And this is another reason I, I think I
5: I don't want to accept this as like. Dick's anti-racist story, I think there are better examples if you want to find a, a true anti-racist story by Philip K. Dick um, and I'm not saying he's a racist either I'm just saying this is well, I don't want to use even the, word, the word the problematic story in, in respect to that <laughs> and the reason why is you have this really weird vibe that like it, Marissa asked before like, what, like if the humans gave the test but in this world, given this text alone the robots will pass the math test and the planning test and the, you know The logistics tests. The humans would pass the art and culture test
0: and the cooking test. Yeah, the
5: cooking test. And this is this idea that it's almost like a separate but equal Mm -hmm. kind of
0: argument. Why is he named James P. Crow? Crow Yes, James P. Crow's solution at the end of the story is segregation. Yeah, that's why it's not a you know a uplifting story of you know a happy harmony
4: I, I i never said it was an uplifting story i didn't i, I didn't
0: it. put that on you but i the, the first way i read this was oh this is this is an analogy for you know the future of of the united states um and and you know with the time window that we have into the present and the recent past we can see that um the program of integration where you integrate with the government and you get people like uh Colin Powell and um, Kamala Harris and Obama and uh, there's another uh, Rice, uh, Condoleezza Rice, right? You get black people in power in the highest offices of the United States and they're not Mal- – uh, I was going to say Malcolm X – they're not uh, Martin Luther King. They're not people who are who are saying let's all live peacefully together. They're people who can successfully run the empire. Well,
2: and based it's a on class a very small sample size. Well, it, it could be.
0: But the important part is, you know, if you're going to integrate into that group, right? You're going to become part of the ruling class. Um you can't be the kind that is going to do Anything to upset the apple cart, and so what's so funny here is the ending is it seems like all the robots are going to leave Earth for this, uh, sh- you know, shame covering maneuver, and I'm like, that's not what would happen. But even if even if he even if they did, right, the truth's going to come out at some point.
2: Well, and it's just the exact same problem. They've just expanded it. Like they've just made the. The human group uh, now has Earth to do its own thing on, rather than in their own homes or whatever. But it's still segregated. But, but, but a cultural
5: reservation,
2: right? For, yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. Well, Earth is a reservation because they make it explicit that humans are going to be stuck on Earth, not being able to leave. They can't leave. Really, yeah. Which really depressed me. It's also kind of a reverse of. I know I keep bringing up the novel Time Out of Joint, and Time Out of Joint. Philip is arguing, oh, no, the the space is the future, and that's where we should be going, and one happy world is not enough here that's what humans get stuck with just one happy world that is earth and the robots get the rest of the universe that's not there
3: yeah
5: let's let's Have uh if you see this as a this is a bit off topic i guess but I, before I, I i stop thinking about it is this a sequel to to uh, second variety mm-hmm.
0: yeah so it has mm-hmm. it has a not just second variety but um we have so many stories where robots the are built during the war. The, remember the letties, yeah. right? Yeah, the defenders. The defenders. But this one
5: sounded more explicitly like what we see in second variety. Like the first is warriors, but then they get a new version that's can mm-hmm.
0: it's more uh, he uses humans. some of the same tech, right? So he, the vid sender is in here and that's um that's in another remember that's in that story where uh, simple guy from the past goes to the future and is able to fix things. And he turns a kid's vid sender into a, uh, a functional interplanetary vid sender, right? A toy vid sender into a real vid sender. I can't remember the name of that story, but, um, he uses a lot of the same tech. The time viewer here is not that different from the time scoop in, uh, yeah, paycheck. paycheck. But he, I think he's had the a time viewer in other stories as well yeah he does. um so he he's he's definitely you know it could be in a what's the heinlein version of the cinematic universe ball i don't know remember but, future history the future history right he's definitely made that possible, although I don't think he like
4: i think he was explicitly thinking in those terms. Nah, he, I mean, no he he's just
0: no. selling stories and putting out yeah. story ideas but uh he definitely is using this the tools of his imagination over and over again in different ways but uh i have a question um i i don't have a good answer for it and uh, it's interesting so the first time i saw this story title when i'm going through the uh the philip kiddick stories looking for public domain ones and this one turned out to be public domain um i didn't understand what the title meant like james p crow It took me like a minute to figure out, oh yeah, Jim Crow, right?
4: Yeah, you're not American. I'm
0: not, I'm not American. We don't grow up with this stuff in, you know, our public schools and stuff like that. So, uh, I've learned it all subsequent to that and outside of that. But, um, I still have no real good explanation for why his middle initial is P. I have like a guess, but it's not a good guess. What's your guess? Well, Um, Jim Crow is like, uh, it's, it's, it's a weird etymology, right? Jim Crow laws. There wasn't one, right? They were basically, they're not constitutional laws saying black people and white people are separated and have to drink at separate fountains and sit at different sections of the bus. It comes out of like the mid 19th century, uh, blackface, um, music. Um, that is. Well, the term Jim, like the character, it's a character. That's yeah, right. Jump Jim Crow. That's right. So James is a transformation of that to make it more formal, right? Um, and the P gives him a middle name so that it's separated. But uh, there is, uh, there was a uh, musician, I think it was James P. Johnson, um, who was fairly famous as a uh, ragtime jazz musician, sort of the transition between those two things. And I know Philip K. Dick- is a was a music guy but um i don't have any good evidence other than that like it, it it's james p johnson right but hmm. but why why would he like i thought maybe there's maybe it has some hidden meaning like
2: i feel I, like knowing like if we think about philip k dick it totally does like it's probably some hilarious joke that he's got in there it very it, it very,
0: very much, much could be
2: yeah
0: and 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 yet at the end of the story where um uh, Johnson died in 55 so he's alive and still uh he was like he was influential right on but it's not really the kind of music Phil Kidick seemed most interested in right which was classical um so that's not so good but at the end of the story we are given a, a very Typical Philip K. Dick ending, like, I wonder what's going to (laughs) happen. That's how it ends. Crow glanced up impatiently. What? Your form of government. How will your society be ruled? Now that you've maneuvered us off Earth, what sort of government will take the place of the Supreme Council and Congress? Notice it's the Congress. Crow didn't answer. He had already returned to his work. There was a strange granite cast to his face. Makes me think of, uh, what's that mountain in North Dakota? The four presidents About on Rushmore? it? Rushmore? Rushmore. South Dakota. South Dakota, okay. Uh, what sort of government will take place? Crow didn't answer. He had already returned to his work. There was a strange granite cast to his face. A peculiar hardness. L87T had never seen. Who will run things? L87T asked. And if you look at it on the page, it looks like late, sort of a little bit. Um, who will be the government now that we're gone? He keeps asking over and over again, right? You said yourself, humans show no ability to manage a complex modern society. Can you find a human capable of keeping the wheels turning? The turning wheel. There's another Philip K. Dick story. Is there a human being capable of leading mankind? Question mark. Crow smiled thinly and continued working. So, James P. Crow has liberated humans from from all robot overseers, right? All, all robot master master race is also called out in here. Um, and he has said that he's not going to give this knowledge to, you know, of the time scoop and all that to regular humanity. So not everybody's going to know that he's a cheater, right? That he mm. wasn't superior on uh, giving everybody mm. a uh, chance right this is uh, this story like is although you know we talk about the test in this story being unrealistic it is but it also isn't so there were uh, black doctors and black uh, you know famous scholars um, and they did hold a kind of revered place within black communities these people are educated these people ha- are just so good. Right. The story we hear about the baseball player, right? Famous baseball players, um, who, who get into the white leagues because they just can't be held back because the white players are just not as good as these guys, right? They hold a special place within the black community because it's, sh- it's evidence for them. And that that's why this story is kind of weird. It's got two sections. It's got the spending time with Donnie Parks and his family and then spending time with James P. Crow. And they're not Connected, right? They're not, you know, f- mm. friends. They're two different views of this world, and the view of the of the people, uh, the I want to say the whites <laughs> or the uh, blacks. In this case, I was I was telling uh, somebody online um, that this the, the, she was looking for um, stories where robots were black, and I was like, I'm pretty sure that doesn't exist. I mean, all robots are slaves in a sense, so they all are, right? But oh, in this case 10 in this case, well, you know, as a metaphor, right? Yeah. Um uh in this case what's funny is all the robots are white and all the humans are black, right? I mm-hmm. mean if you're looking at it as an analogy for, you know, United States uh in the 1950s. That's really what's going on. You can you can be treated well by your white employer, but you're not running the business. You're working for a white man and that weirdness is is not solved at the end other than we know that james p crow is now in an incredibly powerful position and he's not saying what he's going to do and yeah his
2: smile at the end seems very menacing
0: and and remember that the one of the robots invites him to a meeting of the humans are equal party and what does he do he says, I'm busy working. But also, um, he lectures the robot on the fact that they're not equal. And at the end of that, we feel like, oh, he's saying they're superior. But actually, that's if you look at it closely, that's not what he's saying. He said they're different. And that is a very subversive thing going on. Because what's so funny is that robot boy at the beginning who's harassing Donnie, <laughs> St- standing tall, towering over him in metal and and plastic, as poor little Donny wa- takes a, takes his ball and goes home. Right, He's actually four D chess or whatever. Um, he he's he's being mean to him in a racist way, in a way that makes us think he's very human. So,
4: yeah, the human the robots are as or are. His, almost more human than human in this case.
0: And in which, ca- in which case when we look at James P. Crow he's he does take pleasure in his viewing of, of the past and seeing history as it was and not as the mythology has come down from the war but he he's very robot-like in a certain sense that he's always working and he, he's become the thing that you know, he is the power. Now,
2: Yeah, he's one of the least – I think I like him the least out of nearly all of Philip K. Dick's main characters because he's just – he's not like that bumbling, empathetic Philip K. Dick stand-in that we're used to. There's no comedy in this. He's kind of a – he's a bit of a dick. He's like – he just seems like a cold – dude. He hasn't shared that information he
4: gets yeah. with any, anyone else. He's, he's calculating for self-engrandizement and self-knowledge. Just self, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, he's, well, he's,
0: it seems I mean, that way for sure. Uh, the, the only person who I can think of who's sort of a worse a robot-like character is the husband from Human Is, if you remember him. The wife, oh, uh, she, she was like really regretful of marrying him. She wants a child and. The husband's like that. That would be illog- illogical. Let me work, um, and then he goes off planet. And when he comes back, he's been inhabited by a paw wraith. Oh, right. <laughs> from yes. Deep yeah, space I nine. Yeah, it, um,
4: and she prefers him. like Yes, that and they have he's a little more, trial. He's more human now. Yeah, that's
0: right. I remember and, that. Yeah, maybe he's just a good person. And and the smelliness, you know, that we have. That's actually something that Philip K. Dick seems to be have been worried about, like, he's a sweaty, hairy, (laughs) big, apy kind of guy, right? (laughs) And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm this big, sweaty, apy guy and this cute little, beautiful, elfin lady, uh, likes me. That's, I don't know. I feel awkward in my own body sort of thing. So there, there's a ton of ambiguity in here and it's not, uh, as anti-racist as it's, it first appeared to me.
2: It's really not because he's also not dismantling anything. He's playing into that fantasy of he's like, oh, building. if you let an oppressed person, you know, escape their oppression, they're just going to turn it on you and
0: you know, oppress other people. It's and just, and it, it, what are humans good at? Entertaining, right? This is it sort of plays into the yeah. stere- stereotypes of
2: Well, well but and, but, that, but that
4: that's very playing into black stereotypes of menstrually and being musicians and entertainers mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's all that's what they're good that's what they're good and I think there's also a message that they're also good at domestic being domestics. Again, that's very much playing into body the body oh, servant, yes. yeah. Yeah, being body servants. But the but the whole thing of these tests and Evan knows a lot more about Chinese history than I do. These tests that the, the robots have for themselves and for humans kind of remind me of a cross of, of Confucian bureaucracy to exams. Oh,
5: and the civil service exams. Mm-hmm. Civil services.
4: Thank you. And poll taxing in the United States, which was used to keep blacks from voting. It's like, oh, yeah, in order to vote, you have to pass this test in order to vote and then be.
5: Well, the U.S. Yeah. did have literacy tests, both. Both right. late, when they started doing immigration re- restrictions, they did literacy tests, like they had to read stuff. But they would do things like, uh, you know, take stuff that were really Protestant tech. I mean, of course, it's all right the same and, Bible, and trick questions. Like Protestant yes. text and give it to Italians, so they, it would be harder for them to kind of read it and understand it. And then, of course, the 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 literacy tests at the polls, which they would, or to register to vote, I guess is right. what it was done. You know, if a black person did it, the, the the guy grading it would just, you know. Did you know... It's who um, grades it, right? It's who grades the that's test. That's right.
0: Exactly. Who yeah. creates the test yeah. and who grades the it, test.
5: But, so, right. The civil service exam in China is an interesting question, too, because that's often presented as a meritocracy, one of yes. the more meritocratic systems of the time, right? We look at the Middle Ages or something, right? But even that, like... If you look at my families, and some scholar did this, looked at the families that passed. Like it's all the same people from the mm-hmm. same region, mostly. You know, it's not like peasants were like studying hard between you know milking cows, plowing the and, fields, yeah, and, and then and then passing the exam. It almost never happened that way. So it's it's a or or the same way. With the, the other thing I thought about was the the Indian civil service exam. That might actually be a better metaphor because. They did have the the British had this idea of meritocracy in British India, but if you were an Indian, you never could get to the high levels of the um, Indian civil service.
4: Evan, have you read? It's it's recent, so maybe you haven't. And I have no idea if it's available in China. Um, there's a there's an author friend of mine. Her name is uh, Rebecca Kwong. She's written a trilogy of novels, which is a fantasy version of early twenty. Yeah, 20- I need to read
5: those. I know that yeah. she was yeah, oh, okay, the, yeah. the, the, the previously known the previously called Campbell Award. Last year, yes, right? yeah,
4: yes. I think she. I think she's That's a winner. I think she's a winner
5: of the. Uh, they got a new award. aim for it. Analog, oh, yeah. I think. Analog. Uh, the
4: astounding award.
5: Oh, okay. Yeah, the astounding called, award. Yeah. 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 yeah, she yeah but you need to read her stuff because it's yeah. supposed to be alternate history or. It, it,
4: it, 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 I mean, it really deceiver. is a disguised version of early 20th century China under the first Japanese invasion with magic and gods and things, but the main character basically tries to get. Basically, goes through civil service exams to try to escape her very terrible life, and winds oh. up getting getting launched into plot as a result. And, the, and the, I, I really
5: enjoyed them; really good novels. Yeah,
0: I, I mean to read those at some point. I, so, I wanted to uh, talk about uh, the word boycott and the word gerrymander just a little bit because it's related a little bit. Uh, obviously, there was the Montgomery bus boycott that we're thinking of from this period. Um, uh, maybe Marissa's not as familiar with it, but I have to teach a lot of students about American history so that they can do really well on their, uh, exams. These, uh, liberal, uh, uh, universities, uh, all have the same <laughs> sort of SAT requirements and, uh, you need to learn all the vocabulary words and you need to know the, the facts so that when you marshal your arguments, you're, gonna get a better mark right i'm helping the chinese elites (laughs) get into becoming the american elites it's a really weird job anyways um the montgomery boycott and rosa parks right uh it the word boycott itself comes from a guy there was a an irish um captain who owned like a bunch of land in in county mayo in ireland and uh, they were have some having some sort of financial uh, and uh, social crisis at the time as usual, right And uh, they decided the people of this uh, community decided because he was he was uh, a rent owner or landowner and had everybody's rent, he wouldn't lower the rent right basically it was a situation like we've got right now where there's a whole bunch of people g- going to get kicked out right so everybody in the community decided to boycott him <laughs> his name was boycott that is they'll have nothing to do with him they basically shunned him so if he came into the, your shop they wouldn't sell him any products right and and it became such a thing it became a word similarly uh paul you were talking about um you know voter suppression um mm-hmm. this is this is not race-based it's basically it's it can be race-based but it's basically uh power elites trying to keep in power right so they'll do anything to do that they'll say anything and there was this uh i think the mayor of new york named jerry um and uh his his uh dividing and his district was s- shaped so oddly it looked like a salamander, and so they took the word Jerry and Mander uh, from salamander and you know started talking about it, and it became a thing, right? So we get these words to describe. I,
4: actually, he was actually he was Massachusetts, not New
0: York. Oh, okay. Well, it doesn't matter. It's, it's and, from and the and became, mid-19th he century.
4: he became vice president, which is hilarious.
0: Well, that's how you do it, right? I mean, you, you get a vice president of the United States right now who got zero electoral college votes. Or um, sorry, not electoral college. Zero primary, vote. primary votes. Election. That's right. <laughs> but uh, she fits the requirements of the uh, uh, liberal elite that run the country, and she's black, right? So that's good. Um Now everything will be peaceful and love, right? That's that's it's what we're
2: special circumstances this time as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there was definitely. There's always a special circumstances, though, right? <laughs> the, this is the... an extra. Well, I mean, in the 80s, we were all worried about getting nuked, so we have to elect a hawkish, uh, hawkish, uh, I don't know. But people
2: are actually getting nuked this time. There's so many dead, it's kind of...
0: No, no, I mean literally nuked. We were, uh, Yeah. Uh, there was a Cold War, right? I-, I was so freaked out as a kid by the Cold War, I was like, I was literally calculating how far I would need to run to get away from the nukes that I was assured that were coming. Right. And every, I,
4: I lived in New York City. I thought, oh, great. If there's a nuclear war, I'm dead. That's, so,
0: yeah. Well, I, I had, I, I lived fairly far from the central core. So I was thinking, like, it's possible. I could live in the mountains. Right. And I would go hiking on the weekends and I would be thinking, like, it, this is far enough over the horizon from the blast that I, I'll probably survive the initial blast. And like, this is not like, uh, <laughs> Casual! I mean, these are thoughts in my head in the same That's why I think Philip K. Dick's so good at getting in kids' heads, right? Is this story, and there's another one, uh, Jerry and the Beatles? Or no, it's not Jerry and the Beatles. Uh, something in the Beatles. The Beatles yeah. who, who, who in the Beatles? I forget. Um, Is it uh, Jerry? It's not Jerry, because it's <laughs> gerrymander, Mander, right? Um, but it's uh, some, uh, some story about a kid who's getting harassed by aliens when uh, in a very similar situation to this right um society suddenly that's changes
5: like humans are finally getting kicked out right that's the right they're no longer like in charge
0: colonial situation it's yeah. actually bejor right <laughs> it's uh, the Cardassians are, are, are leaving and he's a Cardassian and now he's no longer respected and welcome he is now uh, being boycotted by his friends and treated as the enemy so uh yeah there's definitely there's definitely, but they put us in these situations, right? The people in power. They put us in the situations where we, ha- we have no choice. We have to do this. And, and what's so funny is at the end of this, it feels like Phil K. Dick is smarter, uh, than, you know, he is. <laughs> because at the end, I don't get the sense that Donnie Parks and his mother, Grace, and his dad, uh, uh what's his dad's name? Edgar. Right. I don't get a sense that their life is going to radically improve because the robots are gone. Right. Those robots were contributing to society. Um, in that they were good at ser- some things. He makes that point explicitly. What that thing is, is I guess planning. Maybe there's no wars now. Uh, I don't, I don't really know. It's not really clear in the story. So Philip Dick
5: does this so much in the fifties and I think actually throughout his career. He never kind of gives this up, but he likes to create this political situation. Sometimes a dystopia, mm. you know, usually some kind of dystopia, and then somehow will be broken up, and that's when the story ends. Like just when it's breaking up. So, the man who japed or Vulcan's hammer, uh, the world Jones
0: made. What's the one with the, the aliens lottery. from Nazi, Nazi oh. aliens with the Italian Italian president of Earth. Oh yeah, the now wait for last year. Now wait for last year. We can talk yeah. about
5: our friends Bollocks. Eight that too, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> excuse me. The story takes you to the fall of this regime, and then he's like, "Wow, the future is kind of unwritten." It
3: never <laughs> actually
5: creates yeah. an alternative. I, I think that's a weakness in his political vision, probably. I
0: don't. I, I don't know. It's. It seems to be a wisdom because if he if he says, you know, and they lived happily ever after. Well, that's not true. <laughs> no matter if it's realistic. I mean, that's that's he has a very dark vision. But it seems to me like that's right. That ending. I felt the same way uh, with the Crystal Crypt, which is I think one we still haven't done, and it's because I really no, don't. We haven't done it yet. I really don't understand it. I, I see. You know, I see. There's the Blackland Lighters, right? They're the they're not Nazis essentially. But they're not the bad guys in the same way that we want them to be. And, and Phil Kiddick is very sympathetic to black people in his stories. But here, his solution is, is not, you know, how it's not a vision of, of a improved society exactly. It's a changed society. This is like the, the plan to ship all the black people in the United States to solve the, the original sin of the United States is slavery or whatever. Send them all back to Africa, right? And right, Liberia. some, yeah, Liberia and, you know, get them, get them out and then both cultures will be better, right? Is the idea. And some people bought into this and some people got on the boats and went over there. Mm-hmm. And that's not a good solution, but really it's 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 like controlled by people in power and that's what's so interesting is is james p crow is the segregationist in this story they're not an integrated society for sure at the in the story's beginning but he's his solution is apartheid right even more get them out get them into their own little circles right lesotho and uh what's the other one South Africa they made little countries for the black people right and then oh yeah you can come into the city to work but uh, Johannesburg is a white uh, city and and that's like uh, I, I was thinking like the, it's it's such an American story it's hard to understand um, well, like if you're, if I you're not introduce seeped you into to it go for to it a, a
5: letter that a 1955 letter um, which maybe some of you are familiar with uh, Zora Neale Hurston this is long after her career ended and I think she was like working just as a laborer at some point in the 40s and 50s but you know she she died quite poor um, but in 1955 she did kind of uh, go back to writing at least as far as writing a letter to the uh, Orlando Sentinel and here's what she says um She's against Brown versus Board of Education decision, essentially. Um, she says, The whole matter revolves around the self respect of my people. How much satisfaction can I get from a court order for someone to associate with me who does not wish me near them? The American Indian has never spoken of as a minority, and chiefly because there's no wine in the Indian. Certainly, he fought valiantly for his land, and rightfully so, but it's inconceivable of an Indian to seek forcible association with anyone. His well known pride and self respect would save her from that. I take the Indian position. And then skipping ahead a little bit, he says, if there, are no, if there are not adequate Negro schools in Florida, and there is some residual, some inherent and unchangeable quality in white schools, impossible to duplicate, any, duplicate anywhere else, then I'm the first to insist that Negro children in Florida be allowed to share this boon. But if there are adequate Negro schools and prepared instructors and instructions, there is nothing different except the presence of white people. Yep, I can send you the full letter. So um, yeah, I'm looking at it. I don't know. This may have been a minority opinion among black people in the, you know, in the context of Brown versus Board of Education. But she's basically saying like, black kids don't need white teachers or white schools to. to teach it, it, them.
0: That's actually the argument Biden made at the time, right? He was saying, yeah. it was black. It, it was it was taking away from black. Black is beautiful and black being independently and beautiful. All right. it, it, it's it's. It, it was not uncommon for a bunch of different people to have a bunch of different reactions because they don't know the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, this is Zora Neale Hurston is not someone I'm super familiar with, but I I vaguely remember she's on the side of good
5: She's on the side of good. She's, she's. I guess she's more on the Booker T. Washington view of things, of, right? Of, of, kind of. I mean, I don't know what he's not a nationalist. He's not a black nationalist, but he's uh, someone who says kind of like build our own communities. Yeah, up, right. Build our own institutions. We don't have to integrate in every way, right? I mean, that was W. B. Beat Boyce. He went to Harvard, right? Yeah. For him, it's easy to imagine much more easier for him to imagine integration from his kind of perspective. But Booker T. Washington had more of that working class perspective on things. This is from the letter, too. Them's my sentiments I'm sticking to them. Growth from within, ethical and cultural desegregation. It's a contradiction in terms to scream race, pride, and equality, while at the same time spurning Negro teachers and self-association. That old white mayor business can go raking on down the road for all I care.
0: Yeah, in, in the They're same. Like,
5: we, we don't need white people. I mean,
0: that's. that's but also, it's buying into uh, like so when you think of how the Asians, uh, Koreans, and Chinese I, are the ones I'm for most familiar with, how they deal with inherent racism uh, in the United States. Right? There, there's quotas now for Asian students in, in, <laughs> and that's quotas to keep them out rather than quotas to get them in uh american universities um and the reason they do that is because it's you know they're trying not to be colonized by china and, and korea but mostly china i think because there's just so many um but on the other hand um they don't complain right when they just study harder they don't get on tv and say uh, uh we're being discriminated against they just Study harder because there's a cultural acceptance of the fact that um, eh, it's not that's not our way, right? So that's kind of what she's saying here, right? Is that yeah. why do we want to be part of a, a system like that? We've got our own thing going, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not totally unsympathetic with it. And it's it's such an interesting story. I I also have something else. This is really fascinating, and um, even though. I know you've covered everything, right? Of Philip K. Dix? Um, Not uh, uh, the,
5: the posthumous stuff. The, the, postu- or the, the mainstream novels, I haven't covered all of them. Well,
0: um, here's one you also haven't covered. Uh, I found... Nick and Nick Lemon. None. Uh, you haven't done that, but the, that's a good story, and you should definitely cover it. But no, this is um, a new story I got from, from uh, Philip K. Dick's Youth. A story written in 19, or published in 1944 in his newspaper during the war. <laughs> the war is very looming in his early life. Um, and it's kind of related to the one we have here today. Uh, I'll read it. It's, you know, one column long. Uh, so this is from the Berkeley Daily Gazette, Monday evening, May 8th, 1944. Uh, at the top it says, Young Authors Club, Florida Cook, editor. And then senior day. So he was a senior at this point, whatever that means. Um, he was paid uh, six credits, <laughs> uh, for this thing. And, um, at the end, there's a little, uh, editorial from Flurry de Cook, his first editor. Um, terrible. <laughs> as usual, and also wrong. Listen to this. She says, Here is something different for us to ponder. It is refreshing to receive contributions which so obviously reflect that the author has contemplated an idea, pursued its possibilities, and then sat down to express it. An essay such as this is an excellent brain exercise. Uh, so the word essay is loaded here, uh, and it's a story. I'll read it. It's called The Slave Race. There dwelt on earth's surface at one time a race of high order, a race of high order of intelligence by its own efforts and by the gifts of the gods had bestowed upon it. This race had arose from the creatures of its order and gained heights unimagined by any other race at that time or before. Well, it was with this race and it, it saw favor before heaven. Cities sprang up like plants and In machines they traveled from one corner of the earth to the other. Culture and science was among them, and they fed it until it grew with them. They were Man, capital M, and theirs was greatness. But at last the summit of their civilization was upon them, and they felt that they could go no farther forward. Then among the products of their minds they dwelt, and worked to keep themselves from slipping backwards, for they knew the danger of stagnation and decay. But earth was drained of its store of wealth, and living became harder and harder as the barren soil produced less. Man, always seeking an easier way of life, cast about for an answer. It displeased him that day long that day long he should have to toil for his life food, for even his science and his machines could not take the place of his labor. Life had been created once before, long ago, man was almost a god and like one he began to wonder if once again a cycle could be started something to take his place in the field and leave him to free leave him free to enjoy the pleasure of his civilization and um, and so man created and by his efforts the ancestors of my race appeared and served him as a his slaves, and so man could turn his mind to pleasures instead of work. We lived with him in his cities and worked to keep him and ourselves alive. For a time we were successful in our efforts, for there was food enough for all. But earth yielded less and less as the years passed, and our struggle became more and more difficult. We looked at man enjoying his pleasures while we worked, and we were displeased. We saw And so we rose up and destroyed him, and Earth supported us alone, and we could live. For without the race of man, there was enough for the rest of us. Man, at this point in the story, is no longer capitalized. And his science, and his science, we added to ours, and we passed on to greater heights. We explored the stars and worlds undreamed of. We we spread and grew and covered many planets war followed in our steps but we were we forced it down and kept on we came upon new civilizations and when we were they were friendly we absorbed them and when that we and when not we destroyed them and still we went on at last our ships re- reached their limit and we settled down to live within the co- confines of our lands We built cities which covered whole worlds, and our numbers became uncountable. Riddles of the universe which had plagued us for centuries were solved, and we even traveled back through time and saw what happened before us. But at last we wearied and looked to our relaxation and pleasure. But not all could cease work to find enjoyment, and those who still worked on looked about them for a way to end their toil." There is talk of creating a new race, a new slave race. I oh. am afraid. Yeah. It's a science fiction story from 1944 from Philip K. Dick. And see, it's got that cycle, and it, there's a hell of a lot of ambivalence in it, right? There isn't like, or, yeah, he doesn't have one idea that he's trying to, you know, shoved through he's just he's saying oh there's cycles and there's this and that that's that like i that's why i think that ending is so bleak right he's not doing it he's not a liberator he's not a hero james p no he
4: no he he's going to be the new new man on top as it were or robot seems to
0: be yeah that
4: that 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 that, that, I, i that's the reading i take that like yeah he's He's going to be in charge now, and so what he says goes. Because because if he if he revealed that his secret that he used the time viewer to the general public, he would lose his power. And also consider it, he has that time viewer now that he can maintain his power.
0: That's right. Oh. He, he can that? foresee all the problems and nip them in the bud. Right. This guy's going to be a problem for me,
4: but but but, but at the price of him being basically an autocrat.
2: And he that's, gave that's, it that's, to that's, the robots. He gave the technology to the oppressors and not to his people. That's right. He said he would suppress it.
0: That, he's suppressing the truth. The, Evan's talking a lot on his excellent podcast about uh, Lovecraft um, and the theme of forgetting, deliberate forgetting. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's wonderful and it's exa- It's what was missing from my interest. But I see it so much. Like every story is basically he's retelling the same story from a different point of view or a different angle or so many of them like that, right? The Alchemist is very much like, uh, one of his shortest stories is very much like his longest story. What's the one you're covering right now? Uh, Case of Charles Dexter Ward? Case of
5: Charles Dexter Ward. Right. Well, they're all done. I just got to upload them.
0: But those two stories are about a a guy who is, you know, practicing uh, a way to be immortal and also to gain knowledge, and then people trying to suppress that knowledge. Right in in the case of the alchemist, it's the family trying to suppress uh, knowledge, and in the case of uh, chase of Charles Dexter Ward, it's it's the community trying to suppress knowledge. Right, and no matter what, yeah,
5: uh, and it's 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 like big heads are real historical figures. He pulls out to do this.
0: Uh, I, I always yeah, point to the, the tree. tree, right? That story I, I think it's yes. just so amazing, how I'm such a genius for finding out that it was a murder mystery, and we didn't know that. Um, and it's because, at the beginning, it says, the bees, or this beekeeper told me a story, and at the end, the, the whispering of the boughs says, I know, and I know. And I'm like, what do you know? I, I, I don't know. So I had to go back and read this story. and said, like, what the hell is this talking about? He's hidden... In it, a suppressed story, right? A, a forgotten knowledge that we're trying to prevent. And, and what's so weird is he's his storytelling is about for suppressing knowledge, but he's he it's always dredging up, right? The, he's always tilling up the earth in the tilling gas, right? Well, he's, uh, I think it's.
5: I guess a lot of other people have observed this, but with like at the mountains of badness, where he's like you. Cannot go back to Antarctica and look at these interesting things, and ever go down there again. And here I'm going to tell you all the cool stuff. That's right. <laughs>
0: and it's, it's <laughs> an because awesome feeling. Story. Forbidden right. knowledge is amazing, right? Um, but I feel like Philip K. Dick is is he's working out these things as well. So he reads the paper and he sees all the civil unrest in the United States over, uh, you know, the way black people are treated under Jim Crow, right? Uh, Jim, Crow, Jim Crow laws and he says let me think about this and then he writes a story that is not supportive of integration and it's not supportive of uh, of like a, a rosy future together like we want it's more sinister and yet it doesn't feel as sinister as it is I think it's fascinating stuff
4: I mean, Very you, subtle. You, 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 I mean, you got to go bol- below the surface to think about the sinister aspects of the story, rather than, be, uh, rather than like T- if you go, oh yes, the robots are
2: gone, yay, we're free.
4: Oh wait,
2: do you think as well? Like I, f- I felt like it was sinister when I first read it, but I think it's from reading a lot of Philip K. Dick and just mm. feeling yeah. the tone is so different in this one. I,
0: I, like, I was I just-, just naive, I think, going in. I, I, I see it totally now, but it's, it's also not the most sinister because. We aren't told. He, we just see that smile and we see the power, power disparity, right? But we mm-hmm. don't know the future like he does. And that he is, in fact, there's a, isn't there another human in the room at the end when he's having this meeting? It's actually depicted, the, the, pic- the, the picture. Yeah, there's a, a servant to him, basically, right? In the, I'm just going to bring it up. The picture is, it's quite early in the story, but it's showing a scene from late in the story, in Planet Stories. And you get all these different robots sitting around, right? The table, N-types, and I think there's a D-type there, right? And they're watching humans construct the first robot, an A-type. It's a complete inversion of, I mean, this is, there was a bunch of myths about you know where black people came from, including a uh, horrible Lovecraft letter, right? But he wasn't making that up out of whole cloth. He was inspired by a, a whole justification that fits in with that story you're doing. Uh, it's the case of Charles Dexter Ward, right? The, the justification for enslaving human beings was they're not human beings, or if they are, they're not fully human beings.
2: Yeah, that's their own logic or whatever to make it, to rationalize it. To palatable, themselves.
0: right? And you're lying to yourself so you can forget that, you know, you can suppress the feelings that would come from being immoral. <laughs> People don't like to be, you know, think of themselves as being monsters, right? And so uh, it, it, what's funny is the robots in this story are incredibly human, like uh, you know, there's sympathetic ones and there's mean ones. Apparently, they don't eat, but they're more relatable in a sense, than James P. Crow is. And yet he's also human. So that's the thing, is, is there are um, differences between people, between cultures, for sure. It's why we have different well, restaurants and different languages and different. That's the
2: weird thing about the story is like it's all about passing these tests and is everyone equal as if we're trying to measure them? Are they equal rather than should everyone be treated equally? Right. Like who gives a fuck if anyone can pass a test or isn't as good at some ability as someone else?
5: Yeah. Like it just seems that, irrelevant. That's what your civilization's based on. That, that, that's yeah. what I, I thought it was kind of complicated it's it's more complicated than that. Yeah, like there's diversity of talents and we need to respect them all, but like and I agree with that, but there's still only certain talents that are going to lead to remunerative careers. You know, a lot of things people are great at aren't going to pay the bills. We don't yet. But it's, have but it's the, about the how you treat people
2: not what Yeah. And that's
5: what that's what I think like that family is interested in. The 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 side story, or the mm-hmm. parallel story. Donnie, Donnie you know, opening story. It's not about respect for them, right? And Grace like, Park. It's the same it's way, and our friends were from Frolox Eight, where it's like, it's like this is the only way our family can like move up at all. Yeah,
2: because they've got that arbitrary stress. test to make them. Can you be more, more like
5: a robot or not? I, I did not get the sense they're think they're thinking that much about respect. They're thinking about just basic survival.
0: Well, they yeah, they, uh, yeah, they, they I mean, don't like 19- being treated badly. That's for sure. They don't right. like being second class right. citizens, right? The, the, what was the the evil lie? It's like the one you see on the gate at uh, Auschwitz, right? Uh, separate but equal.
4: No, no, right? it's not separate equal. It's work shall make you
0: free. Oh, I know that. I'm saying, but that's it's a parallel evil lie. Separate but equal. Yeah. Well, well, we yes. both have drinking fountains, right? We both have schools. We both have government services. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, so so one thing I
4: wanted to mention, mention and think about, I had to check the dates. Apparently, this—I mean, this story is 1954, so it's also nine years before something else that this reminded me of. Because in the course of the story, it's made clear that the robots didn't know or had forgotten that they themselves were created by humans. That they basically, a yeah. successor civilization. The, what what the, what this reminded me of was Planet of the Apes.
2: Were yeah, apes, and did you did you mm. see that DreamWorks optioned this for to make? A, oh, really? They they called it a technological Planet of the Apes in the
3: um, Wow. Philippi
4: no, did I defense. did
2: not. I did not know that. That makes sense though. But this predates
4: it by nine years. But the whole idea that the robots forgot where they came from and that humans actually created them it, it, it's it's a it's a fascinating. So like. But, but I, I kept thinking, like, but how would the robots even think that? Well,
0: actually, that's explained. The first ABCs are not human-like robots. They are more like the kinds of robots we have.
3: But, 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 but
4: robots don't breed. They don't – they have to be assembled.
0: But, no, but see, Paul, it, it, what's so awesome about this, right, Is is being displaced from it. To us, you know – creating other human beings is is like natural right it's a, it's a, something you do in your bedroom maybe <laughs> something you do on the beach when you're on vacation something like that right it's it's a, it's a natural activity you can see barnyard animals doing it right um and if you think about like uh, that great ted chang story exhalation right where you've got a robot living in a robot world where you know everybody's vital energy comes from air pressure differentials (laughs) it's completely natural right um and so the breeding of human beings um could be an invention in the same way i mean it's not it's not good because of the uh, there's a lot more animals and plants to be explained but the what's natural and what's unnatural i mean this is why people say you know homosexuals are unnatural because they don't see a lot of them. Right. And then they say having sex that way is unnatural. Uh, But change the perspective and you say, well, pretty much everything under the sun is unnatural, including Roombas, cleaning your carpet and dishwashers, washing your dishes and, you know, going into outer space. Everything's natural, right? In a certain sense. So, I th- I think that part's fairly plausible. I mean, the mythology being completely lost by the humans that survived the war seems unlikely. But on the other hand, if you are taken out of your community, uh, you know, you're put on a ship and sent over to a foreign country, um, you're forced not to use your language, and you're separated from your loved ones who speak the same language, and now you've got masters, and after a few generations... You know, uh, you're going to have some issues culturally understanding. Like, are are we inferior, Dad? If you oh, if you look at that opening line, "human" is used as a swear word, right? You're a nasty little human being. The newly formed Z-type robot shrilled. Uh, he was a human being, a human child, and there was nothing science could do, right? <laughs> What a weird thing to say. He's completely inverted it, right? Nothing science can do about making him not human. It'd be like uh, you're growing up on a planet full of robots, and you're the only biological organism, like that kid who wants to be like Data and have no emotions in that Star Trek episode, right? Mm-hmm. He pretends that he has no emotions, and he acts like he doesn't need to eat, because that is a coping mechanism. And you know, if you're separated from your parents and you don't have all, of it's possible to lose your cultural legacy and cultural history.
4: But but, that, but that's that that's what I, that's not what I was oh, uh, going sorry. with. I was going with why would robot robots construct themselves? Robots don't breed. At least, I mean, may, maybe they do, and we just never discuss it in this well, book. They're just the more androids. But how would robots I think
0: ever robots newly formed is the dogs. word. Right, he was newly formed in the first line. Uh, the z type robot, yeah. Right? yeah.
4: Right, 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 so so where 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 would the original robots come from? I mean, when they? Oh, maybe they think maybe, oh, maybe they, there's you're, a whole... you're
5: missing the metaphor here. I think where does the original king come from? I mean, that's <laughs> this is the same story of every hierarchy, right? Yeah, right. Patriarchy existed seems natural. It's from God, or seemed natural for a long God time but it was also robot. it's very it, it's quite novel you know not, in some way God, God only with the, first the kings you know in much of the world you know you're just talking about a few hundred years you know i was
4: thinking i was thinking more of a species not as the robots as being superior over humans but if robots are a species that constructs itself where did the first robot how did the first robot get constructed in the first place? I mean, may, maybe it's outside the bounds of the story. The robots don't think about that. See, these robots have a what's the word? A serious no, but in constructed,
5: constructed itself at some point, and then within a few generations, it's accepted as natural. That's right. Police forces are only a few hundred years old no, in most parts of the world. No, less no, so no, of no, many, no, I mean, but it's no, but you I'm ask people, it's impossible to conceive, to conceive of a city more. without police
0: yeah. now.
4: No, I'm, I'm thinking more of the. I'm thinking more robots as a species, not robots as superior over humans or controlling humans, but but robots as a species.
0: They're Where not they, really they, a species either because of the A, B, C, D, right, types of robots. Oh, well, they're generations.
4: Oh, okay. Right, they're generations. But they're
0: not even thinking of themselves as, you know, like it'd be like your iPhone 6 versus your iPhone 7 Plus, right? Right. The, 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 <laughs> you don't think of them as species, right?
4: No, there's no um, natural history among these robots of themselves which I find interesting. Maybe they're just incurious uh, just about that sort of thing but I, I wonder though, what do the robots think? I mean they're, they're, uh, they're genuinely shocked to find that humans created them that, that's made clear in the story so what did they think in the first place
5: about They had a story that, that was handed now? down to them the by their created ancestors created by us yeah. Does the computer you're using right now, Paul, think it was created by us? <laughs> the,
4: the computer I have is not sentient
5: but the first three but, generations but, 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 but were not the first sentient either computer assume was created by us
4: but, but cuz now i'm thinking also of so the asimov story um what's the name of the one the, the the one with the space station and the controlling the power beam i can't remember the name of the story of but at least those oh robots. yeah
0: i know the one you mean what's that i know the one you mean i, I can't remember the name yeah, either but right. the religious right, but those, 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 the, like
4: the really those robots at least came up with a whole idea and a religion to explain their own origins. That no Humans didn't create us. We were created by the creator. These robots don't seem to have the same curiosity or at least self-knowledge or at least self-exploration of their own origins. Which well,
5: that's not really like, the focus of another, the story. Like, compares, comparing Dick Nazimov robots I is like... I'm
4: comparing apples and eggs. They and
5: disagree in eggs. every way I think about <laughs> but, how robots work.
4: Well, let know. me let me, I, me read. Uh, now it might like, be
5: that Asaf is more right, you know, realistic.
4: Bu- bu- but, but I but
5: think going it's back, more right about power and how well, power actually justifies itself.
4: But going back to the Planet of the Apes in the original Planet of the Apes movie, the the apes are engaged in archaeology. So I mean, at least those apes, yeah, they, they they might be shocked and try to suppress the knowledge that they, that humans were once high, but at least they themselves are exploring their own origins. And where where did the apes come where did the apes come from in a way that these robots do That's not?
0: actually mentioned in the story too, right? He says uh, the, one of the robots says, How did you get this? And our our people would have discovered this, he says. One of the no, robots yeah,
4: says No, but I don't buy that because but, but all we saw was like well, so what is the what is the robot robot origin myth, for lack of a better word?
2: Hey. So are know. you just assuming they must have one, but we just don't know it because it's not relevant to the story. Yeah. It, yeah but, um, it's not in I, the story. I, I, it, it's out of the story, but I'm curious as what's,
4: what did they think? I mean, the James P. Crow gives them knowledge that they didn't have before. So what did they think before? Is what yeah. I, I mean, I I'm about. with
2: you, Paul. Like I, I actually really like the premise of the story and like the themes it's talking about. I don't super like the story. It's happened.
0: You know, I, it's I not a like fun be, read. It, there's good lot. things it's not a fun read it doesn't I don't walk away from it saying this is an amazing story I walk away thinking oh that's really interesting right
2: it's an interesting topic yeah but I definitely feel like if he'd expanded it if it had been like richer and gone into that stuff about the sure. robot culture and there's so much more
0: I would love to it. spend more time with those robots and less mm-hmm. time with James Peacoro himself um, mm-hmm. and more time with the family because I feel like th- there's all sorts of Horribleness happening, and we don't get to see it very well. I want to read the, the sort of the core of this story, the, the part where he gives the speech to, um, L870. Um, so he invites him to, uh, their meeting, right? You really inspire us. The party meeting, right? L870 made a quick sign with his right gripper. A sort of half arc in the air. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And they have grippers, not hands, right? Um, the equality sign. We, we'd be glad to have you, Jim. <laughs> Want to come? No, I'd like to, but I have other, I have things to do. Oh, the robot moved towards the door. All right. Thanks anyhow. It lingered at the door. You'd give us, you get, you'd give us a shot in the arm, you know, living proof of our contention that human being is equal of a robot and should be afforded such recognition. And now I feel like he's turning into Malcolm X, you know, saying, <laughs> Saying, "No, I'm not. I don't want to be part of your liberal elite. I want our own community, or something like that." Right? He said. Crow smiled faintly. But a human isn't equal of a robot. L eight seventy sputtered indignantly. What are you saying? Aren't you the living proof? Uh, the answer's no. Right? <laughs> Look at your list scores. Perfect. Not a mistake. And in a couple of weeks, you'll be class one, highest there is. Crow shook his head. Sorry. A human isn't an equal of a robot any more than he, he's the equal of a stove, or a diesel motor, or a snow plow. There are a lot of things a human can't do. Let's face facts. What's funny, right, is all of those things are objects. He's actually insulting the robot. L870 was baffled. But I mean it. You're ignoring reality. Humans and robots are completely different. We humans can sing, act, write, plays, stories, operas, paint, design, sets... Flower gardens, buildings cook delicious meals, make love, scratch sonnets on menus, and robots can't. But robots can build elaborate cities and machines that function perfectly, work for days without rest, think without emotional interruption, gestalt complex data without a time lag. Humans excel in some fields, robots in others. Humans have highly developed emotions and feelings, aesthetic awareness. We're sensitive to colors and sounds and textures and soft music mixed with wine. All very fine things. Worthwhile. But realms totally beyond robots. Robots are purely intellectual. Which is fine too. Both realms are fine. (laughs) Emotional humans sensitive to art and music and drama. Robots who think and plan and design machinery. But that doesn't mean we're both the same. And that is... Separate spheres. It is. Separate but equal, right? Uh, or equal... Yeah, well, the
5: same argument... Well, separate spheres was for for women. Oh, like, domestic spheres, like, like, women spheres, shouldn't yes. vote because men are dirty and scummy and getting all <laughs> <smelly. with> <laughs> politics stuff. Yeah. Uh, women yeah, we're are all women down. And, and aesthetic, they would say, and, and, and they're wow. good at teaching the Bible, and they can raise wonderful men but they have an essential both.
0: role yeah They're yeah cool. that's interesting and notice he's mm-hmm. doing that for humans and robots but he's also it seems uh, it, it, it's also possible to read the ending i think in a non-sinister a way um who will be the government now that we are gone you said yourself humans show no ability to manage complex modern society and the society is italicized for some reason. Can you find a human capable of keeping the wheels turning? Is there a human being capable of leading mankind? That's the robot's question. That's not the, the, necessarily the author's question, right? Crow smiled thinly and continued working. He doesn't answer. Uh, one way is uh, it's get out of here. It's not up to you. You don't get to ask me questions, right? We're gonna do our own thing now. You don't need to concern yourself with, with us here in Liberia or wherever on earth, because that's our realm now. And maybe he's going to, uh, reverse his lie. There's no evidence of that, right? But he, he need not be a sinister f- figure, but it, it feels sinister because of the way it's framed at the end. It, it, it is open. But it's also, it's, it's a powerful story. It's just not as usual. It's not what you expect when you think you're going to read, do androids dream of electric jeep? And it's electric jeep. Electric uh, jeeps. Electric <laughs> jeeps. Um, do androids dream of electric sheep? You think you're going to get one thing and you get a different thing. It's not the thing that you expected or man in a high castle. It's not the thing you expected. Um, but there's something there that, Is sort of another twist on it. He's always going for that other twist, and here he doesn't have the answer. Maybe, maybe it's a cop out to say, you know, he doesn't have. He's, he's not going to tell us what it's going to be like. But it's kind of wise because if he does say, and everything worked out in the end, we know it's a lie (laughs) because that's a fairy tale, right? It's a powerful point.
2: Ambiguous ending. Oh, yeah. I usually prefer them. Um, still, don't know if I like this ending, but I don't think it's because it's ambiguous that I dislike it.
0: No, it's 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 sort of sinister. I think is why.
2: Yeah, I just wish there was. I would have liked to see a different character attempt to dismantle this, and you know, even if they failed at the end or whatever.
0: Um, it, it's funny. All of the action in the story is sort of superfluous to. What happened? Like, he, he's manipulated the situation such that the story exists just to s- showcase his, his presentation. It's like he got this right. PowerPoint ready, right? <laughs> Exactly, and everybody's yeah. <laughs> saying, what's in the PowerPoint? What's in the PowerPoint? <laughs> and then he gets his slides out and he starts showing the robots the slides. And then he says, here's my ultimatum. And that's the whole story, right? And no yeah, wonder it's it no good. Like <laughs> no wonder it doesn't satisfy in the way that another does, right? But uh, on the other hand, it is a nice glimpse into, um, into a very weird and semi-plausible world, but also a metaphor for our own world. Any last thoughts on this?
2: I think we covered everything.
0: I was really surprised to see that Rosa Parks was uh, was, you know, six, six, nine months later. Hmm. uh, I mean, it Names usually have resonance. And Donnie and Little Johnny, Little Donnie. That, that's sort of Philip K. Dick's sort of name. Grace and Ed. Those are... Ed, he's used many times, right? But Parks. I thought, oh, that's got to mean something. No, it's too early. <laughs> um, I so, wish there
2: was an interview with him or something talking about the story.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't think... I, I, I don't remember ever hearing one in those... You know, radio interviews or anything like yeah. that, but. more
5: likely to focus on with the novels, stories. Unless, yeah. like, he mentioned so few of them. Like later on, if if it was anthologized during his life, he sometimes gave yeah, so little bits about the stories. But he's not the most trustworthy narrator. You know,
0: no, not when at he's all. Yeah. stories, not the most trustworthy person. <laughs> Untrustworthy <laughs> is a better way of putting it. Yeah, I mean that's why at the ending, you know, the crow smiled thinly and continued working. That's Philip K. Dick sitting at his desk saying, "This story's done. I wonder what it means." Next one, <laughs> keep going. <laughs> Got to put out another fifty of these this year. Get that rent paid. It's it's funny. It's it's in planet stories. There's I, there is an intergalactic or interstellar. Uh, sort of connection here, but it it's all set on Earth. And uh, I don't I don't even think there's a city. Was there a city mentioned? So it wasn't like Chicago or. I think so. It's pretty. Yeah, I, I guess I... everything's nuked. So. Uh, oh, and uh, what what did you what did you make of this uh, before uh, this line? Ed swallowed nervously. Gosh, kid, I don't know. I mean, I don't honestly know of any. When you put it like that, maybe not. The lists have been conducted only 300 years. And it was 400 years ago the first robot was constructed, right? Before that, the government was reactionary and forbade humans to compete with robots. Nowadays, we have a liberal government. (laughs) We can compete on the lists, and if we get high enough scores, dot, 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 his voice wavered and faded no, kid, he said miserably, no, he has ever passed the list. We're just not smart enough. Ah, brutal. Poor kid.
5: Yeah, there's a lot of similarities to our friends from Frolox 8. Indeed. In the story. Even with the, the the side parallel story of a family putting all their hopes in a young kid to pass the tests. Yeah. Mm-hmm. to uh because there, there's like a couple versions of posthumans in that story. There's like, I think they're called the unnaturals. They're like the, they're the size, right? Mm. They have some kind of psionic power, and then there's like the mentat types, <laughs> right? That right. are super intelligent, right? But again, it's just like the 0.01 percent of the population qualifies for either of those categories. But there are the tests, right? There's ways
0: the, the facade of upward mobility is there. Maybe, maybe the next one we should do is uh, Tony and the Beatles. Is it, is, 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 Beatles. Is, is it an audio version? It I should be. That's it's a, public domain.
5: That's a. I mean, if there's not that many stories that kind of take on race really directly this is one toning the Beatles, the hanging stranger the yeah, one with the hanging stranger the martians that hang that are like hanging from the trees uh what, what, what's what, that uh, one well oh, the martians f- are like uh no so that's a great story maybe if we can figure out. it's like martians come in clouds i think
0: oh yeah that's not like public these, domain uh, I, haven't,
5: I haven't read that one Neba things that that are just passing through and they end up, like, falling on communities, and then the people just, like, kill them or, like, burn them. Oh, uh, God. They're not, like, lich.
2: Wait, this is a short story or yeah, not? Yeah, it's a yeah, short story.
5: It turns out, like, that they're they're psychic and they can talk to people. And so this kid, like, ends up talking to one, and he's telling the story that, like, we just want to get your water. We just want to relocate because Mars is doomed. Hmm. We want to get to your oceans. We're not really here as conquerors or anything. <laughs> but the, the response is, it's, you know, it's it's like black people coming to the neighborhood, right?
0: And wow. That story's, uh, Tony and the Beatles is only uh, like 30, 33 minutes long.
2: Oh, is that one called Martians Come in Clouds?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, Martians Come in Clouds.
5: That's, uh, that's what I'm thinking of. That's like how that. I think it's best. That's a, That's actually a better allegory for like,
0: Civil rights issues. It's not the yeah. public domain, but I, I do have an audiobook of it, I'm pretty sure. Uh, and I've not read it, so I'd be. Oh, maybe it's Philip K. Dick Review. That's yeah, me. that's where I. Philip okay, K. Dick Review is me. Oh, okay.
2: What is it?
0: <laughs> oh, that's. Okay, I was thinking, like, this looks a little bit like that Philip K. Dick's fans page. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I even see your logo there, the uh the white whale. <laughs> what are you saying about yourself that that is your logo? It's a dick. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's a, a favorite book, I know. Um uh, so what do you think? Tony and the Beatles or uh Martian Common Coming Clouds? I'm I'm up for either.
4: Well they they can do of, both, but not, not at the same time.
5: Yeah. One is so, Twenty of the Beatles" is more like the post-colonial story. Yeah, right? yeah, like, it's a, it's, it's actually fairly long too. Yeah, got his independence. I but. think. Martians, oh, no, come in one, I
0: think. Martians come in clouds
2: is much
0: more racial violence. Martians come in clouds. While this one's still fresh in MI. what's what's it called? Um, sickmyduck.nayrod.ru. Sickmy. Dot. dot I don't have a PDF of it uh, made yet because it's. Um, there it is. Oh prize ship. Oh, no. Oh, that's Wow, oh, he has so many stories. So many good stories. Alright. Story. Martians. Martians. Now the, there's no P I'll have to make one, but that should be doable. I'm, I'm pretty sure I I have uh, the issue. Um you wanna book that?
4: Yeah, let's book that.
0: Alright. Paul, you on the page?
4: Um, I'll get to the page in a second.
0: Alright. I'm going to go into the ISFDB and make sure I do have a copy of the story.
4: Yeah, before we... Before we uh,
0: Pretty sure I do. Fantastic Universe June, July, and 53.
4: So it looks like um, we'd be booking for the end of January, like January 31st. That's fine. Is
0: the next open next open? is the hardest one to get, so... uh, How's that work for you, Marissa? Let me see. Yeah,
2: looks good.
4: January thirty first, twenty
0: twenty one. Wow, the future! Fantastic universe.
4: Which one are we doing? Which one are we doing first?
0: What did you say, Evan? I may be quarantined then, but it shouldn't. Oh, are they going to re-quarantine? Oh no no! You're gonna head back. No, home? if
5: I go to Taiwan ah, right, for a right, right. Spring Festival. Yeah, but I'll you can still podcast there. And then I'll immediately have to get into a plane, come back.
0: For t- oh no! Here in China. Oh, but you're quarantining with your family, right?
5: I'd quarantine with my family in Taiwan. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's that's but fine. We're still deciding whether it's worth it. Mm. It's, tickets are also not cheap these
0: days. Oh, June fifty-three. June. 30. Oh, it's the first issue. June, July. Which story
4: are you doing first? The uh, 31st? Martian
0: comes, uh, come in clouds. Let me just check. Yep. Martian, comes, Martian comes in clouds. Martians Martian. come in clouds. It looks pretty short. Um, it scan. It's not my it scan. be like
5: audio for that should only be like twenty minutes.
0: Yeah. I don't think it's very long. Uh, can't find the All page right. number though. Page one twenty nine.
3: All right.
4: I've I've put it on the schedule for the thirty first.
0: Solante. Uh I don't, I don't think I've got anything else other than lots of, uh, what have I got? Lots of, um, Star Trek. <laughs> I'm watching a lot of Deep Space Nine. I'm ripping through, I'm almost done. I'm uh, halfway through season six. Only one more season. I thought it was eight seasons for some reason.
5: It wasn't it seven?
0: Star Trek? Uh, uh, Deep Space Nine was Star only s- only seven, was seven seasons. Yeah, yeah, they're all seven. That sucks. That golden age. They're all seven seasons. Today, are there are shows now. Like what's that? What's that one? Grey's Anatomy. I think it's like season fourteen. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. they don't give up now. Like, NCIS, no, right? No, Twenty-five seasons seven, in.
4: They're at seventeen
0: seasons. Yeah, ridiculous, right? And it's. it's I think they're still making, like, The Simpsons. That's, yes, Yeah, but stuff. that's a cartoon. So, I mean, you don't see the actors aging in place, you know. <laughs> 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 but if, if Captain Sisko was still on Deep Space Nine, um, I would, like, I would be surprised if some of the characters, you know, didn't have canes and stuff, even though they're <laughs> the future, right? <laughs> because, uh, uh, apparently Terry Farrell there's one episode she's the Jadzia character there's one episode where they crash land uh, on a alien planet that looks su- suspiciously like Southern California Um and uh and uh she she's like injured on the ship before she lands it's because she has like a skin allergy to the sun and so they couldn't have her out on the uh, on the set so she's in a cave the whole episode and uh I was like, oh, that's a good excuse for why she's in the cave. But um, if you live in Southern California and you're an actor and you, you can't go out in the sun, I guess Star Trek's the only show you can work on, right? I mean, most shows have a little bit of outdoor f- shooting, but Star Trek's basically, they're all inside sets, right?
4: Um, yeah, I mean, to the point of the idea of bottle episodes, remember? So yeah.
0: Yeah, well, they do a lot of those. So, uh, Marissa, you're you're not a Deep Space Nine person?
2: Uh, no, I you haven't should, watched any you of it. Should, yeah, I, you I should remember definitely going watch to it. A, it. It's amazing. I remember
4: going to a Star Trek convention. It was actually the first Star Trek convention I ever went to. This was back in the mid '90s. It was with um, it was with George Takai and um, what's her name? That um, um, Marina Certis, mm-hmm. and. I, I know lots of that. That was an interesting convention because lots of people weren't happy because George Kai just wanted to talk about his new book, which is about <laughs> him being, <laughs> it was about him being, being in being uh in, in interned in, you know, internment camps. Yes, mm. and so people were pissed off about that. Why do not you and, start
0: I'm talking about that fight scene you had with your shirt off?
4: Come on. Well, no, no seriously, seriously, it, it, was, it was amazing how the the level of uh, the, the the level of resentment I felt in that convention from those and Marina Sirtis. Was talking about um, the novel *Umzadi*. She was talking about Star Trek and she was talking about, and she dismissed Deep Space Nine as Deep Blank Nine. What, what, said, what
0: did the blank stand for?
4: She she said it was sleep, but everyone knew what the real S word was. Sleep?
0: Shit? Yes. So,
4: My no Opinions about Deep Space Nine were definitely well known. That's
0: a really bad, hot take that's very cold now.
4: Yeah, it, it, it's gone pretty cold. Deep Space Nine
0: time. is consistently better than Next Generation. I think I love Next Generation too.
4: Because remember at this time they were both running at the same time, so I think there was a little bit of like, kind of like rivalry or like like, well, what not going
0: on? Wow. Between
4: the so yeah, yeah, I I I, I, I left it going like I don't think you're this right. is
0: this is why you don't need s- s- the actors to talk. You just need the writers in there, and I don't know some. It, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I noticed a lot of the actors do get their directing credits on that show. You know, like Renee Ogerbergenois directs some episode and and you see a bunch of other actors directing an episode. They get their writers guild director's credit in case they want to become a director later, like Jonathan Frakes or whatever. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, just consistently good. And I mean, Quark and Garrick, great characters. Just, it, it's so weird seeing, like, a whole, I was saying, and like, the, it's like the Bechdel test, except for aliens. You got two aliens talking to each other. Right? And they don't <laughs> talk about humans. <laughs> They're talking about alien, You know, Ferengi talking about Ferenginar problems. And, uh, Warf talking about, <laughs> or, uh, I don't know, human problem, no, Klingon problems. And it's like, oh, that's really, it's, they developed it enough so that, there is stuff there, like there's a sort of a layer of, um, of universe by that point that it, it just makes it really rich. And yet, um, I also noticed that there's a, a lot less, uh, it's more drama based, right? You know, Worf and, uh, Jadzia get married and, and the uh, Klingon mother in law doesn't like it or whatever. Um, um. So there's like, a, it's less SF uh, of the, uh, what does this mean for humanity? And more like, um, oh, they have a different culture. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, go to a foreign country and they, uh, they have a weird wedding ceremony. It's like, okay, whatever.
4: The past is a different country, as is alien civilizations. And now, I'm th- now I'm thinking of, speaking of wedding customs, now I'm thinking of the Beta z one where everyone's naked. Yeah. So, yeah. It's like, oh, isn't that fun? That kind of reminds makes me think of the movie Midnight's the Sky, which I made, made the unfortunate choice to watch.
0: I think you really need to um, get into Deep Space Nine, Marissa. And the reason is, you know, Evan's writing a book about uh, sex and Star Trek. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm writing, how, how much has
4: this book, are you book actually written, Evan? Uh, it, I got
0: notes. Lots and you lots get, of no, notes.
4: So, 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 so this is more, uh. Oh, yeah, but
0: he's, he, he writes books, so it's going to happen. We shall can do see. It. We he, shall see. He totally does it. If you listen to his podcast, you can see, like, basically, it's, it's him writing a book on as a podcast. Really good. Well, I really like Heaven's podcast. Although he does a lot of, like, Sinclair Lewis. I'm like, who dat? <laughs> I've heard of him. Why, why should <laughs> hey, I care? Man. Huh? Oh, James, uh, uh, uh... Henry James. Henry James. But see, you're not in the the ghost story yet, right? So I'm...
5: No, oh, I'm doing, uh, the, the American now, and the Europeans and confidence.
0: He's technically an American writer, I suppose. but he, He's an American. So yeah, but he moved to England and became he, British. He became a traitor. Yeah, and that's true. He
5: betrayed no, the English don't get him. <laughs> because then you would suck
3: in. What about know, uh,
0: like Lovecraft? Would have loved to have done that, right? Move to England, become an English lord. Isn't that was a, definitely a, his thing. Isn't he a traitor?
5: No, not, no. Well, but, but I'm there's really not that much in. Well, I guess he he became a British subject, so we could. He's okay. Because the British
0: are fine, the English. <laughs> I love this hair splitting. <laughs> Hilarious. Hey, <laughs> like Doyle, is that when you divide no a problem
4: rabbits. with Doyle?
0: He's uh-huh. uh, Doyle Doyle's okay because he's from Scotland, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny stuff. <laughs> Lord Dunstan, fine because he's 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 technically from Ireland. <laughs> even, <laughs> even though he's no, like Anglo-Irish, you're like,
5: oh, this British writer I really like.
0: <laughs> He'll be from like Wales or Scotland or Ireland. Or what about James or Harriet? He's he's a great writer. He's uh, definitely from England. I want to know. You you never read James Harriet? He does like all creatures great and small. Uh, yeah. Uh, dog dog stories. A lot of dog stories. Uh, vets, veterinarian stories where he goes about the English countryside and... Don't try to undermine my prejudice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's a really good writer. And H.G. Wells, my God, there's an English writer who's great. And you're never going to get to cover him on your show because of your racism or nationalism. I don't know. Whatever it is. Notice I'm not arguing for any Canadian writers. Did he ever visit (laughs)
5: Scotland? (laughs)
0: <laughs> wow. He once he once visited Scotland, so that counts. <laughs> like the Queen, she she has a place in Scotland. She's okay, right? <laughs> He's the Prince of Wales, not the Prince of England. you Prince of Dolphin. <laughs> uh huh. Oh yeah, and I keep thinking, Marissa, you really, you would really like Deep Space Nine. You probably like Next Generation too. You have Netflix; it's on there.
2: Yeah, first season of. I just watch TV like one night a month. Oh really? Oh yeah. It's really, really good. Though
5: it's gonna like if I write this textbook, there's a there's probably more from Deep Space Nine than any other series.
0: Next Generation, a lot, lot of Next Generation. I mean, not just the yoga scenes and stuff like that where they're But the thing is gossiping.
5: like as woke as like is trying to be, there's almost nothing to talk about in terms of sex in yeah. all of Discovery. I it's, can't think it's, of more than one or two. It's things shipping. About
0: it. It's not it's not sexing, right? It's yeah, all about like, the relationships. There's than...
5: sexual politics in it, but
0: no actual sex. And uh, but not not a lot of like people getting alien babies and and yeah, uh, sex rituals of the planet Risa and stuff like that.
2: I'm adding Nothing. it to my IMDb watch list.
0: Yeah, so it's it's very hard to get into Next Generation, I think. Uh, I, when I went to do this rewatch, it was sort of accidental. And I I, I decided not to do the first and second season of Next Generation because I remember them sucking. Um, and they do suck in a certain way, but by the time the third season's going, it's like, oh, this is, this is good, I thought. But I went back and watched the first and second, and there are, there's some rough patches, especially. Suck. But they're good. They no, really they're really suck. good. Yeah. They, d- they don't quite I, I, have I, everything gelled yet. They don't know how to do what they're doing perfectly, but there's so many good science fiction ideas where they, you know, they show up on the planet of the Black Moors. And everybody there is Counting Coup. <laughs> and why are they doing that? Oh, for power reasons. And it's like, well, that's an interest. And then they show up on the planet, Marissa, they show up on the planet where all the women are huge, and all the men are tiny. <laughs>
2: yeah,
0: that's a, good one. <laughs> it's a great one. Doesn't Riker get some in that episode, too? Yeah, because because the president of the planet thinks he's sexy because he's not tiny.
5: Yeah. Wait, that was it. It was like, Federation castaways on the planet, right? And they were worried. The women were That's worried right. that this is going to disrupt
0: their society, and it did. Their big, big bodies. Let's it was say. all about feminism. Like it was, it was that eighties <laughs> feminism that the that my mom was into. You know, like. Let's go march in the parades, and I'm I'm like, okay, what am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> Equal rights, okay, I got it. Let's let's keep marching down this road. I want to stop at the cookie store on the way home. <laughs> That's cute. Um, yeah, it's like big hair, <laughs> shoulder pads. <laughs> it's good stuff. I, it's so weird. I, I, I've I sort of gotten it. Next generation started in the eighties. Like it was, it was, I sort of thought of it as a nineties phenomenon, but no, it started in like eighty seven. So it was a really mid eighties. Yeah. But that first episode, I, I heard like Captain Picard walking on the bridge and like you can hear the set creak as he steps on like a, a unsecured board. I'm like, wow, they really didn't <laughs> even have the sound design down perfectly yet. And, you know, Wesley's sort of this awkward, like, they're all just sort of still s- puppets moving around the stage and saying words. They don't really know their characters yet. But eventually, you know, Worf turns into this growl. I-, I just realized he's so conservative. I guess I knew that before, but like his, uh, him getting married to Jadzia Dax was like, Oh, he's super conservative. He's like one of those, um, uh, you know, tradition is everything, So sure,
5: he did that before next generation. Sure? Like, like if you have sex with me, you gotta marry and be my mate. Yeah, no, he was he was always
0: like that, and that's a really cool but, insight.
5: What I love about that is because most Klingons aren't that
0: way. Most that's Klingons right. Are, most Klingons are like, Larping like, it, wine, as you're saying. He's treating it like yeah. I, I
5: they're mean, chill. Is, is, they have is their is traditions, the, but they're chill about it, right? Isn't that's it Worf right. Who brings back the Emperor? He just the whole he just intellectualizes
0: it. He's, he's very into the, he's, he's, because he's, he's like, he's like Lovecraft trying to be, uh, an English lord from the 18th century because he was not raised in the 18th century in England. He thinks that was wonderful. And so he has to, he has to be the most ultra conservative Klingon ever. General Martok's way chill compared to, 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 uh, and he's like, he introduces his wife and she's like a monster, like just horrible personality. And he says, she's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> as, as, uh, Sisko's looking at him like he's crazy. <laughs> and then there's a speech later on where I'm saying, you know, I don't get to have sex with her very often. And, you know, she's abusive, but I, I just think she's the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> and then sort of a little redeeming thing at the end, making her not a monster. But yeah, basically it's like, oh man, (laughs) he's, uh, it's, it's so good. It's so rich. If you don't have Quark and Garrick in your life, uh, and Rom and even, uh, Nog, (laughs) it's so cool. Uh, what what, it's, it's like, I used to think Babylon five is better, but it's just different. It's, it's much more epic, like, uh, Lord of the Rings or something, whereas this is, because
5: I've I've tried cozy. to go back and watch Babylon Five a few times. First you season is just, it's the first terrible. season is really rough. No, oh, I sometimes just skip to the second season. Yeah, because of this, and I still haven't been able to do it. It's it's so it's rough. Like if you, like, I I kind of appreciate a little bit what he was trying to do. Mm-hmm. I don't know it would have probably worked off worked better as like for shorter seasons like they do nowadays. Yeah, 14, 12 episodes.
0: Yeah. No, no, the, yeah, the it, it, 22 it, 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 format. If we make
4: remake Babylon 5, it probably be 10 episodes a season. <laughs> and that would work.
0: But he he's he's have you seen any of that, Marissa? Babylon 5. Have I
2: seen any of
0: what? Babylon 5. No, I don't Babylon.
2: think. I mean, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, no. You would you would probably remember. What's uh, Alfred Bester is a character? in in the uh, the show
4: he's a psychop which is he, hilarious yeah,
0: it it lifts stuff from alfred bester's uh, not stars my destination uh the demolished man it just lifts it and says hey this character who seems to be a psychop from that book his name is alfred bester <laughs> but, the,
4: but 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 the, the funny thing is the first few times we meet him he's just called bester 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 and finally mr bester He's called, he gets his first name is Al. And I thought like, that was the only time I realized it like, oh, now I get it.
0: Mm -hmm. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash audio.
5: Well, I've been reading uh, the Oxford, his- the Oxford uh, history of the United States.
0: So that's not a person.
5: 11 volumes.
0: Wow. It's by different right.
5: writers. Each volume is by a different writer. I've been working on the one on Reconstruction and the Gilded Age right now.
0: Misa, so Paul, I, Will, Scott. I'm going to add you for, to this. That's if,
5: my Christmas presents. Is I take PDFs to the print shop <laughs> and, I, and I print stuff out of B5. Well, there you go. That's my indulgence. Usually I print things A4, two pages per page, so four pages for one sheet.
0: What's the difference but between gotta, A4 and the standard eight and a half by eleven that we have? Is it the same that thing?
5: is A4 is like okay. the, that, but like a B5 is like book sized.
0: Oh, I like that. But
5: it costs more to print out cuz you use more pages. Hmm. You're not doubling up. But it's more but you it doesn't like you don't need them. you're not straining your eyes to read, you know. That's right. me being indulgent Yeah. and and, and waste. <laughs>
0: uh, it, <laughs> it's not that much more expensive, right? It's it's
5: probably 30% more expensive to do
0: it this way? Yeah, but it's not expensive to begin with, is it? Print? No. No. It's, oh. it's like a cent a page or something like that?
5: Let me think. It's If if there was a bookstore and I could buy it off the shelf, it might be not cheaper, but the difference wouldn't be great enough that it wouldn't be worth it to buy the original book. Right. <clears throat> But since I can't get these here, so I just do it. Like you know, with thick books, like I like to read like thick history books. You know, sometimes it's.
0: I print up everything. I I I read dense the-
5: I, I tomorrow I'm going to print out a, a thousand page book on the Reformation.
0: <laughs> For fun, and, and and you have, and they say you're not fun at parties.
5: <laughs> well, I've been, I've been uh, playing around. I've been spending a lot of time on PDF Drive. What's that? Where I find Website? history books. Uh-huh. PDFDrive.com. PDF they have a lot drive. of PDFs of history books. And other stuff, too.
0: I've never even heard of this. And site. It doesn't
5: require VPN.
0: Uh, let's see hey, if there's let's... any Philip K. Dick there. Some German, interesting. A lot of German. Oh, Philip K. Dick reader. There's some other non-German stuff here. A lot of ads on this site.
5: Yeah, it's a lot and usually the PDFs are the actual scans of the books. Are or they're aren't? Not just, uh, they're not. They are. They're not just PDFs. Oh, that's nice. Of, of text. That's nice. Ubik. Yeah, I'm not going to print out a uh, just bad font PDFs. unless I, unless I have to. I, I did find I am Providence on this website.
0: Oh, really? I want an audiobook sort of that. Of, it's
5: the thing. Is it's like, I mean, it's like a thousand pages. It's two volumes. It's St. Josie's He's 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 a bit of a. I don't, I don't, he's erudite, but he's, he's kind of boring
0: sometimes.
5: It's kind but of yeah, boring. It's just like if you go through all of craft letters and every source and construct what he was doing day to day, that is what he does in I Am Providence, mm-hmm. which might be valuable and it's going to be valuable for me because I want to get on this Yeah or I want to know all the genealogy of his family cuz he talks a lot about that so it's good to know that. It's a good re- reference?
0: Yeah, all those all but those names in the book you're doing it's
5: what's it called? Not um, that great. It's not informative about
0: Whipple's like, it and it
5: have a thesis,
0: Really. What was uh all all the names in the one that's set in Providence, the one you're doing Charles Dexter Ward it was Whipple yeah. and there was another like a uh, Orn, Captain Orn. Right? Yeah. Whole bunch of family names like that are real. Yeah, to look
5: those up in like the biography and, and know that. I mean, I guess Clinger, you know, got a lot of them. The thing I love about Charles Dexter Ward is like the places and the like the geography. It's all drawn from life, and especially that's chapter two. It's all set in eighteenth century. Those are all real people from mm-hmm. Revolutionary pr- Providence.
0: Yeah, that Which essential salts stuff is like, real. Wow!
5: To, it's so easy to make this a, an allegory for the Revolutionary War, yeah, and for the American Revolution, right? Kerwin is from kind of Europe. He's he's like they he's and his friends are all in here. He's kind of a European taint on America. <laughs> so burn them down, bury him deep.
0: That you know,
5: yeah. don't bury him deep enough. That's the I,
0: point. I think that's really good. Uh, it's so funny because it's. I was thinking a lot listening to your one about my favorite of you know the short. I mean, there's so many good ones, but the tomb. It's the same story, right? Yeah. It's it's always the same story. It's like I looked into my ancestor. It was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. He's, he's which is
5: which is why I think like he idealizes the 18th century Britain. Yeah, but if you read Charles Dexter Ward, you you know he he, he wants you know, to he cover up that, the he scary part. Gap, it's it's going to be like a festering, yeah, pretty nasty to look at. So he like consciously blinkers himself. He's not blinkered in the sense that like culture, I mean, to some degree it is, but it's not. It's not like he put the blinkers up himself after seeing it, after knowing what's there. He's That's consciously great. saying, "I don't want to." Like acknowledge that, but I'm gonna write all about it. Yeah. I love it. It's 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 a weird relationship he has with the past, I
0: think. He's he's really doing the work. (laughs) Right? Like it's a and then you go to to
5: the Howard Letters so great.
0: Should do an episode on the Howard
5: Letters because Uh, uh, on episode that's a whole podcast. This is us. This is who we are. Howard is kind of just like this is who we are. We're a bunch of genocidal maniacs in a frontier culture. That's right. And, and Lovecraft can't compute it. He's like a original <laughs> series robot, yeah. Kirk kind of outsmarts.
0: Well, that kind of happens in the uh, the show we did today too, right? It's a Kirk moment where he he just presents the facts and then uh, marshals his argument. <laughs> <laughs> the robots up, oh, we give up, we're off to another planet now. <laughs> Good point. what's, it,
5: what's, what's the what with the one with what robots planet?
0: I don't remember.
5: But that's, the, that's the most recent one I watched. Yeah. There, I there's every, a whole there's, bunch. Though, like also though, the one nomad, the one that's a, uh, just like a draft. Yeah. Virger.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
5: The, it's a, the a, thing it's like, you all smart it by giving it a logical contradiction.
0: There's the, the one with, um, when they show up and there's like these Edenic planet that also has poison fruit. And then there's like a cave entrance that has a computer inside of it that protects the people. And he zaps mm-hmm. it. <laughs> um, yeah, so good. That's so many good SF ideas in there. It, it just feels like, uh, it's sort of passe, but it, if you haven't seen it, it's fresh. Good stuff. Uh, yeah, I. Uh...
5: Sorry, it would be interesting to kind of think about too, dude. Have you do noticed with... uh,
0: all the all the tweets I'm doing? Like, like just noticing, like, oh, this episode is a it's a riff on this episode. Like, they're just they just yeah. had one where um, uh, Cisco's transporting uh, what's the leader of the Galdikat to like trial, and they um, they land on a planet. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, after, I know that one. Yeah, and it, that, mm-hmm. th- that's like the, there's one, there's an episode of Next Generation where Geordi and, uh, some Romulan have to work together to survive. Um, it's not the same plot, right? But it's two enemies on a planet having a heart to heart, and, and yet in the Deep Space Nine one, it's about him admitting that he's a Nazi, right? Or wh- whatever the, equivalent thereof is because he starts off saying i'm there to help the bajorans i did my best and they they're just too stupid and uh superstitious to accept it and at the end of his his rantings he's like i should have killed them all (laughs) um (laughs) and yet what's so interesting too is that it wasn't race-based right it was his argument wasn't like these are inferiors in genes um because, you know, he's got that half-Bajoran daughter that ends up getting killed yeah. because of his his uh, meanness or whatever. Um, but rather, it's a cultural argument, you know, our, and that's explicitly what he makes it, right? He says, we were technologically superior, culturally superior, um, and he doesn't say, you know, genetically superior. It's not about genes, right? And that's, oh, that's really, it's, it's, it's very appropriate because he's such a great character that Galdukad is like, he, he's, uh, he's obsessed with Kira Neris, right? He totally wants to jump her bones all the time, but it's quite, he's persistent, but he's also like, he's, he, he's sincere. Right? He's sincere about it. It isn't like a passing fancy, oh, she's got hot boots or whatever. It's more like um, we're meant to be together. He's like a long-term stalker. Kira's actually the most prudish character, I think, in all of Deep Space Nine, and probably all of Star Trek, which is funny because she does... It. Uh, but it's only really seen when you see like her uh, mirror universe shows up There's, like, some episode where, uh, uh, Kira's ex-lover from, um, the, let's see, Avedic comes to, comes from the Mirror Universe. Yeah, Avedic Beryal, right, from the Mirror Universe comes across, um, and he pretends to be a refugee, but it turns out he's working with, uh, with the Intendant. Um, and, uh... That, that, you know, seeing the, the aggressively sultry Kira versus the prudish religious Kira, it's like, wow, she is really prudish compared. Like, she's always rebuking Dax for her, like, her sexual proclivities. Like, that there's, who mourns for more? And she says, when he had hair, I was really into him. <laughs> <laughs> When Morn was, when Morn had hair, and like, yeah, yeah. or Captain Baudet uh, has a transparent cranium. <laughs> Let's talk about him. Never show him. Captain Baudet, who she used to date, <laughs> has a transparent cranium, and and Kira's like, oh, you're 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 attracted to too many men. <laughs> yeah,
5: it's there's like, a lot of great
0: background in space. Oh, they're really good at that, right? Talking about, um, or some some ends in his budding again. I have to get bigger quarters for him cuz he's got it's got siblings or not siblings <laughs> uh, babies <laughs> popping out of him. Uh and so yeah they'll they'll never um or like uh think of all the times um uh Miles and um the doctor Bashir go to the hollow suite and fight the battle of Britain but we never see it. Right? they just come out come out wearing their uniforms and drink some ale and then go back in for another fight it it does have like a lot of um stuff that you would never see on next generation because it's more like a military base than it is like a a ship on patrol right it's more a, life, a lifestyle based very interesting I'm gonna be sad when I'm the last one. You're not gonna watch Voyager after this? I don't know. I mean, I, I I think I think it had a really good premise, but I I, I feel like it was shit. Yeah, I, 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 I I hated Neelix there's and
5: some really good episodes in it, but you have to get through a lot.
0: Yeah, I I mean we'll see, it's, but
5: it's it's like where they do a lot of the wild shit in in Voyager. It's like the writers are like, fuck it.
0: I, I feel World. like they didn't they didn't there's get that the...
5: episode where they go to try to go warp ten and
0: Paris turns into a slug. Oh, fuck <laughs> They they saw what the other shows did and then said, We can do that too. We were the third string writers from those shows. We can do that too. But it looks to me like a lot of uh, what made Deep Space Nine good was Ronald Moore. I think he's the guy who did Battlestar, right? I think, I think that's the why.
5: The new Battle the old Battle yeah, the Star Battlestar Yeah, the new Battlestar, yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, Battlestar and Next Generation, Deep Space. Oh, he did some Voyager? Oh, one year. One year of Voyager. Um And then he's got a bunch of shows that Oh, including Outlander. Um, not a good show it's for girls. Mm-hmm. Um For All Mankind, fuck. I think that was the one I watched the first episode of, and it was fucking terrible.